Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Quick look at the morning papers. The Echo has rent loophole crazy. Rent pressure zone fears in Carrigaline. A bill is being introduced in the Doyle, says Roisin Burke, today to address a crazy loophole in the rent pressure zones in Carrigaline that's left 1,200 renters unprotected from extortionate rent hikes. Cork Sinn Féin TD Donegal O'Leary is proposing the bill that would see the southern half of Carrigaline, Ballygarvan and Crosshaven along with the surrounding areas covered by a rent pressure zone. Uh, all of the city, most of the county are covered by rent pressure zones, he said. Uh, these keep rent increases to the level of inflation but due to a bizarre loophole the part of Carrigaline south of the Onabwee as well as Ballygarvan and Crosshaven are not included in the rent pressure zone so he's on that one uh, the examiner front page has the National Maternity Hospital delayed for more scrutiny uh, Minister of Health Stephen Donnelly very vocal on the national radio stations this morning as to uh, the rights and the services that will be enshrined and will be protected but the government last night pressed uh, pause on the plan to move the National Maternity Hospital to the St. Vincent's Hospital campus in Dublin. They have a 300 year lease on the lands there uh, but the next two weeks will I think be used to assuage any fears and to quell any opposition motions uh, that are against it. These are many many years uh, in planning and proposals and in thought uh, meanwhile archaic conditions exist in Hollis Street uh, for Dublin women who are giving birth uh, including uh, as I've heard uh, queuing uh, just after birth uh, in the uh, public areas for uh, toilet facilities and the like. A senior government source said the documents had landed late and that there was a lot of mis- uh, misinformation and conspiracy theories around the proposal and that it was okay to uh, just take a short pause before signing off on the plan which uh, should be now signed off in two weeks time. Last night Mr Donnelly said the agreement had multiple layers of protections for services and said the Minister for Health will ha- also have a golden share in the hospital which allows them to intervene if for some reason all clinical services are not being provided. The Mirror Hospital delayed in fears over nuns land and uh, that's a bit sensationalist but that's the headline Ministers yesterday delaying proposals to relocate the National Maternity Hospital to a site owned by an order of nuns. The, uh, uh, I think the, uh, that's, uh, ownership has been transferred now to St. Vincent's, but there you go. Uh, a government source said Fine Gael and Green Party female ministers raised concerns about the plan to push ahead with the development of the new hospital on St. Vincent's campus in South Dublin. Uh, they could, I, I suppose, buy the land by compulsory order, but uh, with a D4 address, that's going to cost a huge amount of money. Uh, data centres use more power than all rural homes in Ireland. Didn't Eamon Ryan just recently, maybe I'm wrong, didn't he recently uh, give clearance for another one? Uh, but there's a huge drain on the national grid, which is now soaring by a third. Electricity usage by data centres soared by a third last year, exceeding the power used by all of the rural homes in Ireland. Figures revealed yesterday. Figures from the CSO, the Central Statistics Office, also revealed the drain on the national grid from data centres has almost tripled since 2015 to 14%. This put it ahead of the 12% of electricity consumed by rural dwellings across Ireland. And uh, here we are being told to cut down our electricity usage to save the planet. It's understood there are 70 data centres currently uh, operating across the country. Plans for more to be built and the new data uh, is likely to fire up public anger at a time when households are struggling 
to meet rocketing energy bills. The Mirror also has today witness in Tot murder trial. Tells of row in flat, a witness in a murder trial testified she heard the defendant say, I am telling, I am telling. On the day the toddler was critically injured, Aoife Neve Magali was giving evidence at the Central Criminal Court where Karen Harrington denies killing Santina Cawley in July of 2019. The Star also covers the same story. Tot death jury is told of row in flat. A witness in a murder trial testifying hearing the defendant say, as I said, I'm telling, I'm telling, on the day uh, the toddler was critically injured. That's the Mirror and the Star today. Pretty much the same story there. Shopping for food to rise by €330 Euro per year. Is there any good news in the papers today? A quarter of families struggle to buy groceries now. Grocery bills are set to rise by at least €330 Euro annually as food price inflation hits its highest level in a decade. The soaring prices are leaving families struggling. New data shows, particularly coupled with six price increases from energy providers, hitting within less than one week. Emer Healy is a senior retail analyst with Kantar, which analyzes supermarket spending, and she said the impact is being felt widely across store shelves, and consumers will be noticing the effects on their budgets. Foods such as cooked poultry, bread, pasta and butter have seen some of the highest jumps in prices. The average households facing a €330 increase on their annual grocery bill and 23% of households say they're now struggling to make ends meet when it comes to their weekly food shop. And shoppers are being told to abandon brands uh, in an effort to save money. A perfect example of that uh, is a supermarket survey which was updated in March. A loaf of bread was 175. That's increased by 7% to 187. Uh, while there are uh, less price increases on the non-big brand breads. And also, farmers have said soaring food prices are likely to rise even further unless there's more government help. Pat McCormack, from the, uh, who is the president of the Irish Creamery Milk Suppliers Association, said... We're getting record prices for a litre of milk. And at the same time, the margin has probably never been so tight. If the margin turned in any way, it would have catastrophic consequences. The Independent has a survey on wardens handing out parking tickets. A total of 278,000 tickets. And Cork is up there with them. Uh, parking inspectors were out in force after the lifting of lockdown restrictions with uh, new figures revealing local authorities dished out more than 278,000 parking tickets in the last 14 months. That's worth 11 million to the Exchequer and represents a significant increase on the number of tickets issued during the height of the pandemic. In some counties, the number of fines doubled and returned to pre-COVID levels, while other counties saw only a modest increase. Kerry topped the list for issuing the most tickets per capita uh, between March 21 and April 22, with Cork, Waterford, Kildare, Galway and Limerick issuing the next largest number of fines. Monaghan, Cavan, Offaly, Carlo, Leash and Clare handed out the least amount of parking tickets They uh, per 100,000 of the population. And Dublin is way down there, uh, only issuing 4,642 uh, tickets uh, as against Cork's 9,498 and Kerry with 10,700 and 18. Uh, the Star's front page says, You and whose tsunami? The Russians don't even have the wave weapon that they were propagandizing about. Uh, but there you go. Michal Martin slams the tsunami doom clip. Uh, but the missile's not even in Vlad's arsenal. Taoiseach Michal Martin has called on Russia to apologize for threatening to use a nuclear missile to wipe Ireland off the face of the earth with a radioactive tsunami. The propaganda video in which a gigantic radioactive tsunami destroyed the UK and Ireland after being launched by an underwater nuclear weapon was broadcast 
on state-owned television channel Russia One. But John Everard, the former British ambassador to uh, Belarus, said Vladimir Putin's forces don't even have access to the Poseidon missile that they were threatening to use. Let's go to the mail, and a good story in the mail today. The Supreme Court is on the verge of axing a historic judgment as half of the states are backing the ban, but others are offering a safe haven to women. Joe Biden, the President of the United States, last night vowed to fight for women's rights as the United States headed for a bitter showdown over abortions. The country was split yesterday after a leaked draft judgment revealed that the Supreme Court was on the verge of scrapping a landmark decision that legalised the procedure nationally. How could a document like that be leaked unless it was intentionally done so to, uh, you know, rise public opinion and get the debate going before uh, the actual, and maybe to test the uh, public sentiment uh, and maybe then to go back and reconsider, depending on the level uh, of opposition or support uh, for it. Anyway, the Conservative Stack Court believes, according to the leak, that the issue of abortion should be returned to the people's elected representatives meaning laws will depend on individual states and removing personal choice. Roe versus Wade, uh, almost 50 years ago, 1973 Supreme Court case, uh, now set to be abolished uh, if this goes through, declared abortion to be a constitutionally protected right. But 13 states have already passed trigger laws uh, that will automatically ban the act if the ruling is overturned. Hit for six, an all-inclusive holiday makers um, problem. If you're jetting off to the Balearic Islands, and uh, this will be limited to six drinks a day in certain areas, uh, in certain resorts, uh, with uh, resorts facing fines of up to €60,000 if found to be flouting the laws. Resorts in Mallorca's Magaluf and Playa de Palma, as well as San Antonio in Ibiza. Now, these are essentially young people's resorts. Magaluf would be very British in origin. And uh, in its drawing in of tourists, Santa Ponsa, very Irish uh, by tradition. Uh, Playa de Palma, probably uh, a mixture. And Ibiza is a free-for-all. Uh, one of the nicest places in the world, if you avoid San Antonio, depending on your age, uh, is the island of Ibiza. But San Antonio, well-renowned for its all-night drinking, uh, for its drug culture and for its clubs. But they'll now only in these areas be allowed to serve three drinks at lunch and three drinks at dinner in an effort to clean up the islands. People will just not go for the all-inclusive. They'll just go for travel only and drink their hearts content to their hearts content in any of the pubs around the place. But for those who live there, the Balearic Islands have been hit by gangs of young people who go to all-inclusive hotels to drink all day. Travel expert Michelle Walsh-Jackson said it's been put in place by the local authorities because there has been incidents where people's safety is at risk, uh, such as balcony. This is where people jump from balcony to balcony, which has led to accidents and the like. A couple more stories in the morning paper uh, papers. We may get to this later on the program. Maureen busts a move. The artwork of uh, Maureen O'Hara, the act, uh, actress, was axed for not looking like her. A new statue honouring Hollywood legend Maureen O'Hara has been removed after 48 hours on public display because people felt it didn't look like her enough. Locals in Glengariff, County Cork, uh, the place she loved actually, were outraged that the bronze sculpture did the actress a disservice and felt it hardly resembled her. Over 1,000 people posted online expressing their horror and outrage at the artwork, which was commissioned by Cork County Council at a cost of €33,000. They're putting up statues for €33,000 and they're closing piers because they can't allow to keep them open. Let's look at that later in the programme. Anyway, it was only erected as uh, at a specially built site last Wednesday 
and was suddenly taken away again without any explanation after the public backlash. Uh, we'll get to that later in the programme, hopefully. Uh, and finally, one meal a day keeps your hound sound. Pooches that are fed just once a day are the healthiest. A study found adult dogs given a single meal are less likely to have gastrointestinal, dental, orthopaedic, kidney, urinary and liver problems. The Dog Aging Project has analysed 10,000 hounds across breeds, uh, sizes and ages since 2019. And study author Dr Emily Bray said the rationale for twice daily feeding in dogs is obscure. More frequent feeding may in fact be suboptimal for several age-related health outcomes. That means it's not good. The US experts found once a day feeding did not have much effect on brain, skin and heart health. And Dr Bray noted some dogs may need to be fed more frequently, such as when taking medication. So that's as clear as mud, isn't it? Do you feed your dog once a day? Do you feed your dog twice? What is the habit out there? I don't know. But we're going to our phone lines next on The Neil Prendival Show. You're listening to the number one talk show in Cork. The Neil Prendival Show. It's the best in Cork. On Red FM. 21 minutes past nine. Mick Mulcahy in for Neil Prendival this week and next. And line one, uh, we have Brendan Piper. Good morning, Brendan. Good morning, Mick. How are you? I'm good. Now, an iconic structure, well, albeit a mobile structure, i.e. your caravan, uh, has been forced to move on in Kinsale. Uh, this is in the square which would be at the back of the Oscar Madison's bar and to the front of Jim Edwards. If you come into Kinsale, uh, as you make that requisite left turn to get to the Trident and uh, along to Acton's and then along the beachfront by Dino's, uh, and if you look right as you're turning there by what, what is essentially, let me see, the uh, the casino, uh, you'll be always able to see your caravan. What's happening and what has happened, Brendan? Yeah, what happened, um, make us a showman's wagon. Um, it was built in Shark Key, that area where the showman's wagon is, that's Shark Key, and it was built by my grandfather, William, at the age of 18 in 1932, and he, yeah, he built it there, and bottom line is we've been asked by the council, we're told by the council to the solicitors to move it, that we're illegally parked there, and it has to be moved permanently. Okay, how long is it there? It's 1932, my so how could it be illegally parked if there was no parking laws in 1932? You, you surely have uh, some sort of rights. Well, they reckon that we have no rights that whatsoever. We're on the discretion of the council and that we are illegally parked. The showman's wagon's illegally parked there. And the only time we move the showman's wagon when we have the family fun fair, family fun fair, which is down the park, is, that's what is known locally as the park in Kingsale. And we moved it there June, July and August and we've been moving in the park since 1939 and it, like I said it's been moved for June, July and August every year since and it goes back in September or September back to Shark Key again. That was as you, we say the winter quarters. Yeah, And are you related to the, the Piper Funfair family that were in what's now I suppose the East Village in, in Douglas and uh, still operating in Crosshaven? That's right, yeah. Mark Piper, um, he'd be, uh, to be, a, sec- to be a, uh, a first cousin to my dad, mm-hmm. William. Okay, so this was a backdrop, a kind of an iconic part of the local scenery for years. W- what offence was it causing? None whatsoever. The only, what we did during the COVID, we always maintained it. And during the COVID, with the restriction in travel, Mick, we couldn't get down to it. And the weather got it because it's, it's all timber. Yeah. Well, I get it a bit, but when I get the letter from nurse from the council, the um, and how I got the letters, I applied for the 
the lease of the town park for the fun fair, although it was COVID, we still had to apply for it. We knew it would be good, but we still had to apply for it. And that was a condition. One of the conditions going into the park was that the showman's wagon, Shockey, has to be removed permanently. Okay. And we won't be going into the park. So this was also, this caravan was, it's like very like Wonderly Wagon. I'm looking at a picture of it here. Uh, yeah. Also the star of its very own book, The Showman, uh, by West Cork artist Joan Fairhead. Uh, now, local councillor Sean O'Donovan took to social media to say he was disappointed and saddened to see the wagon had been removed, describing it as a piece of history, heritage, and an iconic landmark for, for Kinsale. Dozens of locals have agreed and took to social media, posting their own memories of the cute green wandering wagon and demanding its return. Has there been any update on that? No, what I did, I, had, I brought it, we brought it back a good friend of ours, Tom Felby, a trucker, he um, he brought it back in his truck with unloader. The, the load loader that was two nights ago, we brought it back. And? We, sorry, we, twas, we didn't bring it back, we, we brought it out. You, you took it out under order? Under order. If I don't, through the, the council solicitors, it was, if I don't take it out, they have a, a contractor ready to go in and remove it. And it will cost... Nine hundred and fifty euro for the contract to remove it, bring it to a uh, compound, and you'll be charged thirty euro a day for it in the compound. Okay, that's very, very—I don't know—very, very Gestapo-like after so many years of heritage in, in, I don't in know the place. What, yes, that's right, making it is a tourist attraction. There's a, the local um, historian; it does a tour, tour guide there, uh, Dermot Ryan. He, as part of his tour guide during the history of King Seal, you know, and there's, there's pictures from, from that uh, showman's wagon all over the world. Yes, and we were only talking yesterday with Eugene Furlong about the return of Shackleton's cabin, the cabin that uh, Sir Ernest Shackleton uh, died in, and uh, how much interest there is in that. Uh, so there's a big hole in King at the moment, then, visually. Oh, God, yes, Mick, it is. I mean, it's, it's the character, part of the character, the part of the heritage. And the fabric of Kinsale as well, Mick, you know. Now, was it lived in or was it used for any commercial purpose? Was, my grandfather lived in it. And he passed away in 89. And then it was left, it was there, we kept it and maintained there all along. Like I said, we only moved it in the summertime to go down to the park to the fun fair. And it was brought back again. And But we, we kept it maintained and it was always a part of, we said it was always a part of the character and uh, the heritage of Kingsfield. Okay. Now, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure if we're in possession of information that you're not, but uh, I have this note. Uh, eventually, local councillor Alan Coleman got to the bottom of the mystery and revealed some good news. So this is councillor Alan Coleman saying, I've had discussions with the Piper family and some Cork County Council executives today and can confirm this iconic caravan will be returning to its rightful home in Kinsale. Is that true? I didn't hear, I haven't heard no word from no councillor about this. Okay, let me uh, tell you what else he said. The Piper family are taking this opportunity to paint and redecorate the caravan, and we look forward to its return. That was, um, that was last year. That was last year, was it? Oh, God, yeah, that was last year when we, we you say, took it out on the dress because I, I, I was given the, the conditions from the, the council, so I took it out and went took the showman's wagon out and what happened then one of the locals people saw the going down the pier and 
and the low loader and they get in contact with Sean Donovan, Councillor Sean Donovan, and they ask what's happened to Billy Piper, that's my dad, Shaman's wagon, and Sean didn't know anything about it. He rang me and explained. He said, but we knew nothing about this. So, um, so Sean brought this little attention to the public. Okay, so... So even even if yes, I'm looking at the date of the report. It's actually 2021. You're right. So even if Alan Coleman, uh, you know, had this feeling, and the executives of Cork County Council had this feeling last year, this iconic caravan will be returning to its rightful home in Kinsale. What's happened since? Nothing's happened. Like I said, apparently, well, we thought everything was all done and dusted. That they're happy enough to let us bring it back. And I contacted through the councillors and said that it's ready to go back. And they said, bring it back. But when I went back then, I was told then to get it out. But uh, I got a list, uh, sister's letter from the council saying that it has to be removed again. And I thought because there was a, there was a, apparently there was a meeting with the local councillors regarding the, the, the wagon in Sharkey. And, they voted, apparently voted on it, and it, had, it was, you're right, when shot, uh, Alan Coleman said it can go back, it was voted to go back, but when I brought it back, I had to bring it back out again. That's yeah, okay. Well, look, it's, uh, it's our pleasure to highlight it, um, Brendan. Uh, you know, you're from a long-standing tradition of fun fairs, and that type of caravan I remember most, um, with fond memories, shall we say, from Pipers and Crosshaven as we were growing up. There was many of uh, those type of caravans there supporting the fun fair. That's right, Mick. That's right. And like, uh, I'd just like to take the opportunity to thank the, the people, like, the local people of Kingsale, for their for their tremendous support on this matter and their support down through the years, and for for Sean and Councillor Sean Donovan and Alan Coleman for highlighting this instant and fighting this for me. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 not a commercial concern for you. It's more just the heritage of having it and what you feel is its rightful place. Well, it's with the. When I say the rightful place, it's the people of King Seal say it's it's the it's a, it's its rightful place because they say it's part of our heritage and a part of our our history and fabric of King Seal. This is the, the tallest people, the local people themselves, you know. Mm-hmm. Whatever happened to that wonderful carousel that was at the front gate of the uh, Crosshaven Marys, as we used to call it? I think that did that go to England? I think. I think so. Yeah. All right, Brendan, uh, listen, a council source has told us that uh, you have been offered an alternative place in Kinsale, but you haven't engaged with the council as yet. Nobody wants you to move out of Kinsale, uh, but they say that legally he can no longer stay in that place. I wonder why that is, but is that true? That's just what they're saying. The, the other turn that the council told me at the time, they said, Piper's through um, Sean Donovan and Coleman, they, the council said to me that you can fight... They can find an, Pipers will have to find an, another alternative site in King Seal and come back to us. There's no other alternative site. The only alternative site then there is, is down in the town park where the fun fair is. So I said, that's the only, I give that. Uh, I said to them, yeah, we go to the town park. They, they agreed in that, they said. But in saying that, I was talking to my dad and he would, he doesn't want to put it in the town park full time. Not when the fun fairs are because I don't know, it's just, it's wide open. Yeah. You know, to be damaged or broken into. Sure. An abandoned Kinsale council meeting is happening at 2 p.m. today, so our source expects uh, that the issue will be raised at this meeting. So we'll watch it with interest, Brendan. 
Yeah, Mick, Mick, I'd like to take this opportunity. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak. It's our pleasure, right. and we hope it comes to a happy resolution for you, for the caravan, for the people of Kinsale. Mick, thank you, and God bless. Thanks a million. That's Brendan Piper. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. And a very good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. Now, I'm looking at uh, a report from Sean O'Reardon uh, from Sunday, the uh, 24th of April. Councillors criticising the decision of uh, Spike Island's management company to curtail access to the historic tourist attraction after hours. Uh, County councillors in Cork have criticised the decision. They claim the after-hours closure of the pier at Spike Island, Cork Harbour, infringes on the right of public access to the picturesque area for boats and yachts. And uh, members of the Carrigaline Municipal District Council are writing to the island's management company seeking a reversal of the decision to padlock the pontoon gates at closing time. Uh, this after-hours closure of the pier at Spike uh, infringing on the rights of public access to the picturesque area for boats and for yachts. Uh, the issue was raised at a meeting of the Municipal District Council by Fine Gael Councillor Paul um, Murta. And uh, uh, we have to speak on the issue Barry Kiley on line two. Good morning, Barry. How are you doing, Mick? Good uh, very morning. good. You, you, you've been a long, uh, long-standing uh, opponent of restrictions that uh, I know you love to go and walk your dog on Spike Island, and it's becoming more and more difficult for you to do so. Um, yeah, well, Mick, I, I haven't been over there for months because um, because of this. You know, there's, there's a, a very much a don't come on this island uh, attitude over there. You you arrive at the pontoon, and suddenly there the signs have appeared that you need permission. You can't land, and then if you go over after hours and there is no ferry coming and going, the, the place is, is padlocked. And then I went around to the pier, which isn't the pontoon; it's the pier around the site, and you get the similar similar um, signage: "Do not set down. You cannot get on the island." So I, I thought, for me, Mick, it's 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 really the question I've tried to get an answer from. For is are we restricted just from getting on the island? Anyways, I mean, can we come in on a small boat, land on the beach? Can we walk around there? Uh, it's not clear to me whether just access com- is completely denied. And, and we're not talking about the fort now. We're just talking about walking walking the Strand, walking around the fort. Beautiful uh, views up there. I was over there uh, late last year, and I was actually sitting down uh, with my dog, who's he's too fat to catch anything. He couldn't, you know, they're afraid he's might catching the wildlife over there. I'll talk to you about that a little bit later. Yeah, that, that was the but, initial uh, rebuttal, wasn't it, from... The, that was the initial report. That's when it all started, really. They said, don't come on, we've got rat poison down here, um, killing the rats, and um, we don't want dogs on the island because of that. That was the original the original uh, reason. And then, then, of course, they were talking about wildlife there and all of that. But I was there one night, and I was watching Bluefin Tuna, which I believe between Camden and Carlisle, uh, breaking in, in the water there. So it's a magnificent place for us public to go and, and enjoy, but that seems to be completely cut off now, and there's no there's no access. Yeah. The pontoon is is one issue. I mean, that's that's obviously a county council. I'd imagine that the the, the the public purses have paid for that. Um, the pier is there forever, so why why can't we use the pier? Uh, it's just just everything is just verboten. That's what it is. You can't go on there. Yeah, the pontoon on the cove side is also under lock and key, isn't it? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't go in. I mean, that's another. It's coded anyway. Other. Unless you have the code, I don't think you can get onto it. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, so, there's a common theme across the whole Port of Cork here, uh, Mick, is that it's becoming more and more and more industrialised. There doesn't seem to be any effort by the powers that be, I, I'd imagine, is, is it the Port of Cork in this case, for access. You can't get into Cove, actually. You just can't get in. I, I joined uh, Cove Sailing Club as a, day, as a day member where I can just go over and, you know, moor up there and access Cove, go in and have a few pints in the Rob Roy or whatever. Mm. You know, we want to go on a Sunday, listen to the trad music. So there, there doesn't seem to be a care or consideration for transport, but for private boats to move around Cork Harbour. You can't go on to Spike, you can't get into Cove. The Port of Cork, since they sold their, their headquarters in the Cork City, that pontoon has now fallen into private hands. Is there a plan there to reinstate the public, a public pontoon in Cork where boats can come and go as we used to do that? The, the guys in the in that building in Cork now, the Port of Cork, they're very good because you can ring up and you can make an appointment there. But how long will that last? So mm. I think there's a general there's a general um, neglect of private boat owners in in in, in the Cork Harbour area. Amenities, access to amenities, access to towns. Uh, it just doesn't seem to be anywhere in anybody's plans that I can see. Yeah, okay. I, I know there is private access to uh, the Keys. Uh, Nolan Margaret owns a property yeah. there where they do great fare. Uh, you, okay. Yeah, you can tie up there and you can go ashore, but you kind of really are morally expected to support that premises and not go wandering off drinking pints elsewhere. And that's fair right. enough uh, yeah. because they do offer a wonderful service there. And it is very, very handy. Uh, but for many years, I've been saying, uh, you know, as a, a born and bred in Cove, there's no public access. You know, as a country... When you compare ourselves even to the south of England or Brittany or most parts of, uh, parts of maritime France, you couldn't throw a stone without hitting a marina. You couldn't, you know, yeah. you, you, everything is geared looking out to sea and welcoming people in. Here, as an island nation, as my old friend Tom McSweeney coined the phrase, we stand with our backs to the water. Yeah, that's, that's, that's it. And you go beyond that, that pontoon now in Cove, the public one, where they use for the ferry, and you just see foul Bert keep off derelicts, quaysides, um, railings. Um, it's, it's very anti-visitor. Um, so I'm just wondering, is there anybody in Cork Harbour, be it County Council, Port of Cork, is there, is there anybody have a mandate to look after the facilities, beautify the harbour? It seems to be very commercial. Um, access to the lovely towns we have uh, around the place. Uh, Cove, uh, Crosshaven, there is a pontoon over there. But that's taken up now by the big orange ferry there. So try and get in there in high summer. You haven't all. Um, it's it's just it's just it's just challenging. Um, I, I I think generally. Uh, uh, if if we are to look around some of the facilities, you 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 can get up for a beer if you if if uh, if you know your way. You can get all the way up to to uh, Balnacurra and to the mm-hmm. wonderful Jack O'Crenans hosted by Nina there. Uh, of course, uh, Vince and Mary are operating in Rosie's in, and there's a beautiful pontoon there in uh, Lower yeah. Hadda, uh and yeah. wonderful fare and offer there. And uh, the pubs of Crosshaven, of course, accessed by the Hugh Coveney Pier. Um, Kieran Canary doing a great job there. And if you liaise with him, you can get in and out and uh, stay for a few hours as long as he knows. And that gives you access to JP English's uh, The Ore, to yeah. uh, to Buckley's and Fitzy's, another great mm. spot, and, and all that... Uh, that Crosshaven has to offer. Um, but essentially for the second biggest natural harbour in the world, it's a pretty poor show. I, I, I think it is. I mean, I'd like to see Cove have public access. I, I'd like to see that. Not relying on Noel's key to get in there. Or, or you know, just visitors, where do they go? Uh, I'd just like to see Cove open up. 
I'd like to see something in the city that I, you can see in, in Waterford. Uh, they've got quite a, a fine setup there when you go up the river to Waterford City. You can see that. But then back to Spike, I'd like to be able to go over to Spike and walk the island after hours uh, um, when there's nobody there. Um, it would be nice to be able to do that. So that's, that's where we came in on the conversation. Uh, I don't know why they're deciding to lock it up. Yeah, um, can, can I just get clarity there? Because I don't want to accuse them of something yeah. they're not doing. Can, can you get in there yeah. during the day easily? Um, you, well, you, you can, you, you, well, where would you land? Based on the signage, um, my understanding is you can't get in in high season. They want both north and south sides of the pontoon free for the ferries. Um, and you need permission. That's what they're saying. You which, need which, permission. which ferries are we talking about now? Are we talking about the ones from these, Cove these are, or the orange one, yeah, these, uh, the Collinor? These would be the, the, in the main, the green ferries, the dial group ferries. Okay. They, they would be the, in the transport uh, system that goes over there. Okay. And they're good. I mean, the last day, I've met those lads on a few occasions and they've been, they've been quite, quite, quite uh, helpful. But, but you don't go there when they're operating because it's just... It's just too difficult. Well, that's you fair, they, you know, that's fair enough. For, you know, for safety concerns, you can't be blocking yeah. uh, blocking ferries. But essentially, this is a private company. Uh, are, are they using publicly funded piers and then they're under lock and key to the public? And is that the only route to spike now? Because I know the Colleen Orr was, uh, I won't say banned because that may be a, the wrong word, but they were disencouraged a few seasons ago before the pandemic from uh, bringing tourists to spike, which is kind of ridiculous to me. Yes, you know, I think I think it is. I think it should be it should be open. Um, as I say, I don't know what the what the the deal with the transport companies is, but that, I think that lies with the county council. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a business is there to make to, to make money and to to operate, but whatever deal has been struck on exclusivity, then I think that's that's a question for the council. Is there a deal? Is there an exclusive deal? Okay, there? and let's ask Cork County Council to to if they could clarify, uh, even if a deal does or doesn't exist. Uh, what is the situation with access to county council lands uh, and that wonderful island of Spike? I know Michael Martin, who does the uh, the Titanic Trail in Cove. I think he's in the USA at the moment, though, on, a, on, a, on the tourist, uh, you know, the tourist trip that they do presenting to. I know he was in New York recently presenting to a hundred uh, tour operators, and that's very much needed to uh, to keep tourism coming to all of Cork. Uh, but maybe we'd get him when he comes back too, because he w- he championed the release of Spike. Uh, into the public realm, if you like, so that people could go yeah. go and enjoy it. Yeah, it is, and I suppose the, the question, uh, Mick, is if you can't get on through either the pier, if they don't, if they continue to lock the, the, the pontoon after hours, if they continue to maintain the signs on the pier and the wall, the old wall that was there from, you know, the dawn of the state, probably even before that, if they, which we now can't use either, can we use the beaches? Are we allowed to even walk on the island now? Is there a complete forbid? Uh, is it forbidden to walk on the island? End of story. Because it seems to be focused on the landing spots, but you can get over there on a small punt. You can get in there, land or have, have a picnic in the evening. But are we now even in breach of their thinking by even doing that? Okay. We don't know. Let, let's, let's put it out there because it does need to be clarified. And I think we do need to enhance the marine leisure element of our tourism here, rather than, as I say, turn our backs to the sea. Uh, but, you know, that's me. I'm into the sea. And I, I don't want to be, yeah. uh, I don't be accused of, uh, you know, driving this agenda. But it's, it's, it, there are questions that need to be asked. Uh, Barry, thanks a, million, the, thanks a million as well, always. One, one more thing, Mick, just one more thing. I wonder, is the rat poison still being laid down there? I was reading about barn owls the other night, 
a barn owl pair can take care of 4,000 rodents in a year. So put, it, put a barn owl nest box in on one of those buildings in there. Take up your poison and let nature take its course. That would be my, my message. And Birdwatch Ireland would sponsor all of that if they, got, if they took the trouble to, to, to contact them. Well said. Thanks a million. Barry Kiley. Thanks a lot. Nick. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks. Bye bye. Now, this seems to have hit a nerve. Mary O'Sullivan is the Secretary of Landor Yacht Club. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. How are you? Good. Now, you have personally funded, or the club has, an engineering survey and presented it to the council with drawings and plans to extend the current deck onto waste ground. But the council seem to be going the opposite way in, uh, in Landor. They're apparently closing. Now, this is a, one of the most beautiful natural harbours in the world. You've got a kilometre apart between, uh, roughly a kilometre between Union Hall and Landor. Um, but it seems as though uh, services and peer access there is also about to be curtailed by the County Council. This will seem to be the County Council's policy at the moment. It is to close off, really, Glandor and Union Hall to all letter craft. Um, Union Hall are going to base it purely as a commercial base uh, for big fishing and Glandor Pier, which we use all year round, um, it will be to cut off two-thirds of it to members of the public and the Glandor Harbour Sailing School. Why? This is our issue at the moment. Well, they're putting it on the premise that it's a health and safety issue. Now, while we accept that more, more structure is actually needed to the pier, we can actually work with the council and our proposal that we put in that they haven't replied to us will actually address some of those concerns. And um, in our letter to the Cork County Council, um, we put in that um, if they extended the north, upper, western part of the pier, concrete it, it will give more boat storage. Also, we were happy um, to work with lines and have dinghies in, in on the lines and keep them there, which would um, keep the pier clear at all times. But also, you've got to remember here, and like you obviously know Glandor, right? Mm-hmm. We don't have water in Glandor all the time. We're pretty tidal and we're pretty dry um, for half the day. So, like, proposal for health and safety, etc., actually wouldn't really work. So, what we're kind of disappointed is that they didn't have a conversation with us before their proposal, and we could have actually walked the pier with them. Yeah, no, I know. I know that Glandor Harbour pays annually for the use of the pier, and your club we says do. its members personally fund a pontoon, which I've used. It's brilliant for the benefit of the public and all harbour users. Uh, I would advise anyone in the middle of the summer uh, to go to Glandor and see the thriving sailing activity for youngsters that's happening there. Uh, it's like there's hundreds of boats, hundreds of kids enjoying the facilities. Um, but the club said, you said in your statement, the next step may be to manufacture a report to close the pier completely on safety grounds, which yeah. is completely contrary to the county development plan for the area. That's going to cost. If it costs double to keep it open, shouldn't that be the sensible thing? Well, we, what we were hoping to do is, and you're right to say about the, the pontoon, the pontoon is actually um, funded by ourselves. But in talking about the pontoon, county council have over a 1,000 cubes in storage. and um, We could do with a couple of them to extend our pontoon because it's pretty battered at the moment and it's getting smaller and smaller and we'd like them for to give it give us a few cubes so that we can extend our pontoon and more people could use it because we have people who come in into the, the harbour on visiting overnights 
and they come in into the pier and the only access they would have if the pontoon wasn't there was to go up those steps. And, and that's a health and safety issue in, in itself. But this, this yeah. as I mentioned, is the second pier in the Glandor Harbour area subject to a row between the council and the local community. Uh, a float magazine has reported there are local protests at Union Hall just across from Glandor Village over the decision by the council to close the old pier there to, uh, to public use as well. Yeah, that is that is correct. And um, again, if if the council worked with, with the people in the area, we could actually come up with a solution and it will benefit everyone, not just Glandor, but Union Hall and all the surrounding communities. Like When you come back to our sailors, it's our school sailing which feeds into the, the sailing activities and all the water activities in the harbour. And we started that off in Glandor Harbour in 2001 and it was originally just Glandor National School. Now we have Union Hall, Lep, Abbey Strew and other local schools want to join and participate and if we have 60 kids on the water doing school sailing, 30% of them are definitely going to go on and develop the skill set for sailing Plus it's many, many dozens of families in the area supporting the local economy. Uh, Mary, I've got to leave it there. I want to take a break and take another call on the issue. But thank you very much for your input. Thank you. Thank you. Text The Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Five and a half minutes to ten. One final quick call on the topic before ten o'clock news. John Wise, good morning. Good morning. What's your point? The councillor talking about spending 18 to 20 grand putting up a fence and installing CCTV. Wasted money, you say? Yeah, that's right. We, <clears throat> they propose uh, for, just say, for, for supposedly safety reasons, uh, fencing off the end of the old Keelbeg Pier, which is, uh, um, you know, gives access to the water uh, for people who cannot use the main commercial pier. The main commercial pier is uh, barriered off now to... We're talking about Union Hall now, because that's a commercial fishing village. That's So uh, they're treating uh, Union Hall as a commercial fishing village and taking uh, no having no concern for the recreational users. Okay. Uh, and um, in, in a fishing village, the recreation use needs to be enshrined, really. But the foundations of the pier, I believe, need work, do they? Yeah, the... the the council have neglected the maintenance of the pier for many, many years. And that's uh, that, that's their job, know, to keep that maintenance at a, at a level uh, where public it, use is safe. Uh, yeah. So, so now, uh, having neglected, and I'm not accusing them of anything there, but it looks like they've neglected and abdicated their responsibility in that regard, they're now saying, oh, it's, it's not safe, we're going to close it down. We'll spend more of your money uh, restricting you from access. That's right, yeah. So that the... I'm I'm a member of the Union Hall and Glandor Harbour Development Committee, which represents uh, commercial fishing and sports fishing, uh, the leisure sailors, rowers, swimmers, the local B&Bs, and all the other commercial businesses. There's access to water around it's, the harbour. There are myriad concerns, there, there, and there are yeah. huge tourist implications for all of those That's sporting correct. activities, if this isn't corrected. But I'm talking, yeah. on, you know, we're not just harping on about Spike or Glandor or uh, Union Hall. It's a, a deeper malaise is creeping into the attitude here, it seems. Uh, towards uh, marine leisure, and that's what we want to address. But, John, thanks for bringing that point to us on the Neil Prendeville Show this morning. 
Thank you. Okay, thanks Cheers, thanks. Much. Bye-bye. We're coming up on uh, three minutes to 10 o'clock. Got a great competition on the way. We've got your summer sorted. And if you want to win tickets to Riverdance on the 5th of June, then stay tuned. We'll be asking to identify two Eurovision songs again and opening our lines uh, just before uh, show closure at 12 midday. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench. Every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And just to wrap up on the issue of peer closures and restrictions, Alan Coleman is a councillor in the Bandon Kinsale area. Good morning, Alan. Morning, morning. How are you doing? Now, you're a councillor for the Bandon Kinsale area involved in uh, the Piper's Caravan story. And of course, you can also speak uh, possibly about Spike Island, but other harbours as well. Perhaps, yes, I will indeed. Okay, what light can you shed, first of all, on the Piper's Caravan? Well, this is, has been ongoing, as, as you know, it flared up last year when the council um, you know, demanded that he move the wagon, the showman's wagon, from the short key. Um, now, over the last number of years, every every year that he goes for a licence to um, have his fun fair in the town park, the council are putting roadblocks in front of them, and, you know, by you know the councils. I mean, help you not to get in there because, in Kinsale, you know, when when, when Piper's Fair goes to to the to the town park, that's the beginning of summer really. But last year they, they upped the ante in the council and they decided that it was time that his his showman's wagon should leave the shop key for good. It's been there since 1932. Yeah, and we thought that he did take it away to do major repairs. Mm-hmm. You know, he had to do a lot of work on it. Yes, I think he told himself it deteriorated a bit over COVID. Yeah, that was that was last year. That was a report I got mixed up. Yeah, that was last year yeah. when he took it away yeah, for yeah, refurbishment. He, and he he took it away, the major refurbishment, and it brought it back. It's looking absolutely fantastic now and resplendent. It's the most photographed item you can say of all the other buildings now with these pipers, pipers and, and anyone that's doing tour walks or anything they will tell you that. So it came back but the council continually when he went back for, for a license again this year for his um, fun fair and the license fee obviously was increased and also was told he would only give him the license if he agreed to obviously move moved the land permanently and the fee next year would increase by 50% and the year after that, it will increase by 100%. And that will be the last year that we would have Piper's Fair in Kinsale. It wouldn't be allowed into the, to the town park anymore. And it, really what's happened, and they also said that if, if he didn't move the, the wagon, that he'd be charged over today and you not know, to be put in storage. And effectively, I think Brendan has been warned on. He's been strong-armed been out of town, on. is what's happening. Yes, yes. He's been, he's been run out of Kinsale. And actually, in a moment of weakness, he said to me not too long ago that, you know, at the end of this summer, <clears throat> he might actually offer it to another town that might appreciate a fantastic wagon like that in town. Now, I know that people of Kinsale appreciate the wagon. They love the, they love Piper's Fair. They love the idea of it being Kinsale. They love the wagon there. <clears throat> but Cork County Council's officials have uh, have uh, been better against Piper's and Kinsale. They want an older town. Right. And roof for cars, tarmac, everything, and get rid of all traditions and everything. And I said to you, we have a meeting at 2 o'clock today, and I will be calling and hoping that the municipal district will agree that we get the chief executive of the Cork County Council to get, get involved in this and get this result and stop this continuous vendetta against the Piper family. Yeah, a, a local uh, said to me, a local um, 
I won't. I won't mention what area they're in because it, it, you'll, you'll probably identify them. Uh, but so that's kind of our Eiffel Tower. That's where you see all the tourists standing to get the picture to say, "Yes, I was in Kinsale. Here I am next to the showman's wagon." You, you, yeah. You wouldn't have to put down that I'm in Kinsale if you got a picture of the showman's wagon because you'd know that is Kinsale, and it is looking fantastic at the moment, having having put painstakingly um, the renovations to it. it it's uh, any other town would be the right cheap to have it in that town. But our officials in the municipal district just don't want it in town. They want it out of town. They want pipers out. And, you know, it's it's a bit of bit of old decency in Kinsale. An awful lot has changed in Kinsale over the last 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm conscious as well we lost the Killarney. You know, you know the old the old steamer, the old mail and luggage vessel that was uh, sold for 75 grand and now is probably worth a couple of million. It's a restaurant up on the Liffey. Uh, that is iconic we, in the city, yes. Yeah, that, that would have been a great... Uh, iconic element to photography and to and to visitors, and it would have helped uh, tourism in Cork. But we just seem to be short-sighted when it comes to holding on to our traditional items. Well, we should be able to to progress, get you know, and, and build tourism, build our economy. But we should be able to bring out traditions with us as well. We shouldn't be trying to be able to the bathwater as well. And uh, that's the point I would make. Like, that we can have progress. We can say we can be the top tourism town in that, in the South of Ireland in Ireland. We can be the gourmet capital, but surely we can keep some of our traditions as as well. Um, okay. And Piper's represents all can say, and it's a fantastic asset to the town. It would be a huge loss if we lost it. I, I, and I know Brendan is downcast. He's beat down. You know, there's an old saying that you can't beat City Hall. I think it came out of the States at some stage. And I think Brendan Piper is, is, is a case in point. He's just feeling that he can't. He can't take on the system any longer. Yeah, one man against the machine. The the, but I can assure the local councillors in the town will support him and back him away from media to attack today and accept him to be captured on, on that meeting. Okay, that's the, the Piper's Caravan thing. Now, tell us about the, the piers that are being suggested be closed from public access around the place. I think this is just uh, came out of a safety audit um, that um, all, all Harper's people uh, did in the council. And... Um, I just feel that in this case they're probably cracking enough with a bit of a sledgehammer and um, didn't have enough local consultation and I suppose it's straight up in a number of places. Glendore and Union Hall would be points in, 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 that, you know, flashpoints in terms of this issue. I know the local councillors there are up in arms actually over us uh, as well. Um, but I suppose what will happen there will there will have to be some consultation, particularly I suppose in Union Hall if that's a uh, young kids learning nothing there and learning sailing and um, they use access it's not just that they need access to the slips but they need to be abused and they need to be able to store the dinghy sound there and I think it can be done in a safe way um, but again as I say I, I do think that all officials have really got, got a, you know got a strength to have a practice not here I think the safety can be improved without you know all of the um, well, the council's attitude seems to be let's let's spend eighteen twenty thousand euro putting up a fence and installing CCTV to keep people safe. That will go a long way towards making the pier safe. Yes, yeah, that, that's. I think I think you 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 hit it there, and I think a bit of consultation as well with the clubs that that use it and the people that use it because you know these these are, these are, these are great assets, and um, I, I think that there can be a resolution. And I know that the municipal district, the West Cork municipal district, are meeting on Friday, and I think they're hoping to hammer some of the officials there. Okay, do you mind if we keep in touch, Councillor Alan Coleman, on, on not just uh, today's meeting, but on that 
meeting on Friday and let's see if we can okay. find a way forward that will keep everybody happy. Well, if we can keep a majority, we'll be doing too well, I suppose. <laughs> I suppose you'll never keep everybody happy all the time, but the majority will do. No, indeed. No, indeed. No, indeed. Okay. And Thanks a million. And I on, on the pipe recently, which is critical, really, I think. All right. Thanks a million. Cheers, Councillor Alan Colvin. Now, today is uh, May the 4th, and uh, lots of people are going to be saying May the 4th be with you. Uh, means and ways to celebrate if you're a Star Wars um, fan, I was going to say nerd, fan. Uh, from quirky cooking to a new documentary launch, plenty of ways to mark the occasion. For Star Wars fans across the globe, May the 4th takes on a very special significance. The day is devoted to celebrating the world-famous sci-fi franchise with a range of events and special offers. But why is it called Star Wars Day? Well, the particular date has been referred to as Star Wars Day since 2011 after widespread fan use of the phrase May the 4th be with you. Of course, uh, May the Force be with you was the original line in the uh, Star Wars and became the catchphrase, which uh, characters often say to each other to wish good luck on dangerous missions. Just like John Luke Picard says, make it so. Some fans chose, of course, to take the concept further and take part in additional celebrations on the 5th or 6th of May, which they dub Revenge of the 5th or Revenge of the 6th, which is a kind of a play on uh, Revenge of the Sith, uh, also in the Star Wars franchise. This is a reference to that 2005 Revenge of the Sith, which remains one of the darkest entries in the franchise. So the Star Wars Day 2022 events uh, are many. There's the Disney Gallery, the Book of Boba Fett documentary launches. There's the Star Wars Obi-Wan comic, the Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi. As always, if has uh, always been your favorite Star Wars character, then May is very exciting once for you. And Star Wars Day often sees sales on Star Wars products. So if you fancy treating yourself to a comic book, video game or other memorabilia, keep an eye out for the best deals. And if you have some of the original Star Wars um, memorabilia uh, and little toys and models, they could be worth now an absolute fortune. And there are Star Wars stories on Disney Plus as well. Uh, Disney Plus has become the premier location for all things Star Wars as it currently hosts all nine films in the mainline saga, as well as being the exclusive home of spin-off television series The Mandalorian and the book of Boba Fett. So, happy Star Wars Day and may the 4th be with you. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. Coming up on 20 minutes past 10. Good morning, it's Mick Mulcahy in for Neil Prenderville. Now, during its recent coverage of the Punchestown Festival, RTE pundit Ted Walsh berated a horse for refusing to jump, saying a hiding wouldn't be good enough for the animal. It sparked fresh concerns about the treatment of horses following a BBC Panorama documentary outlining the treatment of retired racehorses and pictures uh, last year that showed trainer Gordon Elliott sitting on top of a dead horse. Uh, Horse Racing Ireland received, for the record, 70.4 million euros this year in government funding down by over 6 million from the previous year. And the question we asked on our Facebook post last night was, should the government cut funding entirely for horse racing? And we have had a huge response to that. But first, let's listen to that particular RTE clip. Talk is right there too, towards the outside, Trans Prince. Ah, Trans Prince ducked left before it. He's jumped it already, but not this time. He's ducked out and he's out of the contest. Future proof, the last one jumping it. So now, tech. Mike, look at the, at the horse that refused as well too. He's a dirty, rotten so to refuse that. Jump it both ways, man on his back. Cheers, I tell you one thing. Uh, a hiding yeah. wouldn't be good enough for him. 
it's a, it's a bit of a nasty thing to do when, when you've gone and jumped the jump already. Nasty? Is that all you can say? <laughs> you, we, might get, we might get a look at the horse refusal again just because it's a bankers. Here he is uh, on the extreme left of your picture there now. Uh, look at him. Look at that dirty rotten stone side. No intention of it. Jeez, he gave him a horrible fall. It's one of the reasons follow him over and stand on him. God, he's a chicken hearted stone, so isn't he that horse? Huh? Yeah, the horse, uh, the rider, by the look of his body language, had no idea he was going to do it not either. At all. Some Tew is really not enjoying it, but Ted, as we get to the halfway point, you can see the difference for a horse like Some Tew, a high class horse, but he just doesn't want to be here. You were saying, Ted, very early on, if you were Rachel Blackmore, you'd be coming for the gate. Oh, God, I'd have whipped him in up the road. As Barry says, I don't know why she even went out on him, but I mean, like, uh, maybe she was, he was jumping well at home, but he missed the first or he missed the second, took a half an hour to get up and off a Ruby's double. She could have had a couple. No, I'm not pretending to know the slightest thing about horses or horse racing. Uh, but that, to me, was shocking. Uh, that the horse should essentially know there's a rider on his back. Uh, that a whipping wouldn't be good enough for him. And that kind of thing. We've had a huge response uh, to this uh, on our Facebook post. Now, once again, Horse Racing Ireland received $70.4 million this year in government funding. Should we stop funding for horse racing was our question. Amanda, good morning. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I found that shocking. What about you? Um, I think, like, I suppose I'm in the industry, I kind of, like, the terminology, I suppose, would be offensive to a lot of people. I'm not, I'm, in no way am I condoning that, like, anybody to go out beating up horses or hitting horses or anything like that. But it's, it's kind of like, I suppose, like, Ted Walsh is from a generation that, like, even, like, I don't, you know, it's an older generation. They use different kinds of terminology kind of things like even like talking to my grandparents back in the day or something you'd be like oh you can't say do you know that kind of a way so I think it's kind of a little bit been blown out of proportion into what he's saying as somebody who works with horses and has ridden horses and still rides horses it's it's been kind of blown out of proportion I okay. mean for him to kind of and it does like when you even when you hear it back there I'm kinda of like, Oh god, will he ever kind of stop saying what he's saying? Kind of a thing. But it's it's not he's not like I don't believe that Ted Walsh is standing in the yard hitting every single horse that goes past him. If that makes Kind of sense. So you've worked uh, in the industry here and uh, and, and abroad, and uh, you yeah, would, you would and generally say people working day in and day out with these animals have the dedication that the animals deserve, have the love and passion for the sport and the animals, uh, but especially the love and dedication and support the animals would deserve. Oh, a million thousand percent. I mean, like I've had situations where you'd be staying late, like like. Or in this industry, your day doesn't, it's not a clock in, clock out job. If a horse needs some extra care and attention, you're staying up, you could be staying up through the night. There's people working and breathing that are on full watch all night long to make sure, sure that the mares fold correctly, um, like giving attention to horses. Um, I mean, in, like I worked in Australia as well, the horses had. Um, nearly a better life than me. They did physio, spas, heat treatments. Um, a vet was there constantly all day long. Like if a horse even had a little tiny cut on its leg, the horse it would be looked after. I mean, they're especially when you know that they can't fend for themselves. They're in a stable. It's your job to look after these animals, and there is no question in my mind that anybody working with a horse, whether it's jumping or racing, any kind of thing, 
you couldn't do that job unless you really, really loved the animal. Uh-huh. Uh, whether the animal is an animal that goes out and never wins a race, or the animal is going out and winning a race every week or month or whatever it, the case may be, the level of treatment between those animals doesn't change. Even your horses that might never make it to the top level, they're nearly given more... Um, not more treatment, but you're nearly kind of hoping, like, trying to figure out, like, how can I make, get the best out of this horse? How can I look after it so it's reaching its full potential? The strong horses that are, like, exceptionally bred and that are expected to do well, they're nearly easier in a sense that they're going out and they're doing their job day in, day out, whereas you're, with the ones that are weaker or the ones that need that extra care, extra love, extra attention, they're a lot more goes into looking after those animals as well. It's not just like, oh, this horse will never win a race. All right, let, let, let me get to two texts and a text here from uh, from the Facebook post last night. And as I say, uh, you know, I watch horse racing uh, casually. <laughs> Everyone looks the same to me. It's the same if you're not into soccer, if you're not yeah. into GA or hurling or whatever. Uh, every match looks the same. Every race looks the same to me. Uh, what I don't understand and what's kind of unsettling to me is is the incessant whipping of each horse. Uh, to get it to the finish line. They, these are texts on that subject. Horses do not mind being ridden. They do mind kicking and whipping. It's archaic and shocking that beating an animal down a track for money is not banned. It's horrendous. And here's the second one. They should start a trend that the jockey is whipped after finishing as many times as he whipped the horse and see how many use it then. Is it not time for the end of the whip? Well, like, if, I don't know who, like, as you say, like, people don't know the actual racing whip aren't actually and like they're covered in foam so it's more the sound of the foam rather than the actual hitting like if you're looking if you really like look in slow motion at a horse finishing a race the jockey is only allowed to hit the horse i think in flat racing it's seven and in jump racing it's eight i could be wrong on those numbers but over what period of time in total I, I, I'm like I, I'm not like in that industry anymore, so I don't know the whole like I, I, I don't know if it's just um, at the end of the race or if it's in the whole race complete. They're only allowed to hit them, I, I suppose, with one hand off the reins seven times. And so if you really slow motion when they're actually hitting them, they might for every time they swing their hand, they might not even hit the horse, or they might even hit it just one time. If they're swinging their hands up and down, that looks really barbaric to the untrained eye but if you actually like watch when they're finishing the amount of times that they actually physically make contact with the horse it's not every time they swing the whip mm. yeah, I've a text that, that would corroborate time. that uh, another text said they're not whipped down the track most times the whip is flashed down the side of the horse and past the head jockeys are fined and suspended if they are deemed to be overusing the whip but the horse thinks it's going to be whipped if, even if it's not like yeah, the the idea is that like it's like it's a little bit like like these are animals, right? So it's the same as in like you train your dog on a leash, you train the horse to like there has to be a little bit of a balance between human and animal. Now I'm not like horses are flight or fight or flight animals. You don't want like a horse is no good to you if it's absolutely terrified to be ridden. Like, if you go up and sit up on your horse, that horse will try its best. And then, like, if the horse doesn't want you up on its back, you're not getting on its back. There's horses that, like, if they don't want to race, 
they won't race. There is a horse in Australia, Satakwa, who has won multiple Group 1 wins, and at, towards the end of the career, when his love for racing was gone, he wouldn't even leave the stall. So he but, was but retired. Should, should a horse that refused to jump a fence then in the middle of a race uh, be, be subject to that comment like Ted Walsh said, whipping would be too good for him? I would like you see that's what I mean like that kind well, of hiding thing. sorry not whipping hiding yeah yeah like I don't believe in like incessantly beating a horse right but that horse in the other sense would have been trained hundreds and thousands of times to jump and they wouldn't have gone there if the people in charge of the horse wouldn't have thought that it could jump some horses as well not like that they need to be whipped and it's going to sound like I'm like but some of them will kind of half chance their arm with a rider too like, they'll be like, oh, right, don't, not going to do this, kind of get rid. And like I say, if a horse doesn't want you there, it's not going to do it. So it's not going to, like, they're, if they're coming to jump, they don't want to jump. If they really don't want to jump it, they're not going to do it. Some horses could do it out of, um, like you say, if they're getting too tired or if they're making a mistake or whatever. But some horses, like those different personalities do, they can be a bit nasty for want of a better word so I don't know that horse personally so I can't comment on it but if that horse thought it could get away with doing something and it chose to throw the rider off like as he said like the horse has already jumped the fence so it's not afraid of jumping it just took an opportunity to not do something uh-huh. so I alright um, like yeah, we have somebody coming on now from uh, Irish Council Against Blood Sports, and I don't want this to turn into a blood sport. And I know you're only giving me your own um, perception of your own involvement yeah. in, the, in, in the industry, so uh, I don't want you to be attacked, so we're going to let you go there no, and, and, and take on the next person on their own, okay? Uh, thanks, okay. thanks a million, Amanda. Um, okay. uh, another texture says it's totally bizarre. It's acceptable because of money. Can you imagine if sportsmen use dogs to whip and kick and bet on? What's the difference? Uh, what a load of thick twaddle elitism. Racing is composed of many uh, different people from incredibly diverse walks of life and social standings, which you'd know if you actually had any knowledge of racing. I said I didn't. Uh, I have many friends that own small shares in syndicated horses who aren't upper class or anywhere near. Just ordinary people in ordinary jobs who save up and pay good money to be involved in something they love as a hobby. Just like someone into football saves and buys a season ticket for their team. Anyone who thinks it's a shortcut to riches will soon discover it's more like a shortcut to the poorhouse. So let's go to Aideen Urell. Uh, I hope I got your surname correct, Aideen. Yes, Urell, Y-O-U-R-E-W-L. Okay, your campaign director <coughs> for the Irish Council Against Blood Sports. Say that again? Your campaign director for the Irish Council Against oh, Blood yes, Sports. Oh yes, that's right. Okay. That's correct. What, what did you make of Ted Walsh's comments? I thought it was, they were absolutely appalling. I heard and said and I could not believe it. I couldn't believe it. I was so shocked at his remarks and he's a horse trainer and he is in he has horses in his care and I I, I would con- be concerned about that that a man who would so easily say that horse should get a good hiding would have horses in his care it's, it's appalling appalling remarks and, and, and it's not the first time he's he's made references to dirty rotten horses in another interview he called the horse a dirty rotten mongrel 
Okay, we've uh, had. I, I, I just, it's just, it just, just, it's, it's appalling the, the statement that you made. Six-year-old horse called Transprint also refused to jump an obstacle earlier in the week in his previous yeah. race, first day of the Punchestown Festival. In that race, a horse named uh, House Tricks was killed after falling and suffering a broken leg. And on Saturday, in the race immediately after the Dooley Insurance Group country uh, cross-country chase, a horse named Class Conti was fatally injured. This was followed by a race in which one horse fell, seven others were pulled up, and another unseated the rider. In the race after that, three horses were pulled up, one of whom burst a blood vessel. And in the next race, a horse was unruly beforehand and refused to race, was uh, the comment there. Animal Welfare Watch is reporting that horse 1010 also died in the 425 race at Punchestown on Saturday. And Right Place, Right Time died on Friday. Now, these are being highlighted possibly because of Ted Walsh's comments. How much is this going on that we never hear about? Oh, it's, it's, it's commonplace. Horses are dying all the time in horse racing. In fact, uh, a total of 1,166 horses lost their lives since uh, in horse racing courses in Ireland since 2012. And then there's, uh, there's the um, ones that are slaughtered that are put down if they're, if they're um, gone past racing or they're no good. Uh, in fact, um, a total of 12,000 horses uh, were put down in, in, in slaughterhouses in Ireland from 2016 to 2021. Or sorry, from 2016 to 2020. And we all saw the, pa- well, I don't know, we saw the Panorama programme where uh, um, an Irish horse was brought in to be slaughtered in, the, in, the, in this abattoir. And it was just appalling, a perfectly healthy young horse brought to the slaughter. It's the very same as greyhound racing in the, in the, in the sense that horses are bred, thousands of horses bred, uh, some are good, if, they don't, if they're not winning, they, um, they're put down. It's like greyhound racing. And these animals are just racing machines. And I heard a lady talk about uh, the use of the whip. There's no need for a whip. There, it, 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 the, the whip is banned in Norway and Sweden. I don't know what people, wh- why um, it's taking so long for them to ban the whip here in Ireland and in other countries. Now, I'm There's accessing no some, uh, we have some information accessed and obtained by Paul Murphy, TD, who said the, rest yes. of, uh, the list of racing fatalities continues to grow. Uh, showing a total of 1,166 horses have lost their lives at races yeah. in Ireland since 2012. So at least 100 known to have died during and after races around Ireland in 2021, plus 30 yeah. or so uh, so far this year. Already this year, yeah. Now, Aideen, and, and, in, in the interest of balance... And abroad, we go to race abroad and they die abroad in England as well. Okay, in the interest of balance, I'm going to bring on John Fitzgerald now, who's of the Irish Racehorse Trainers Association. Good morning, John. I'm sure you'd like to counter some of those statements and arguments. Uh, you, yeah. Good morning, lads. Um, Good morning. It's the Restricted Trainers Association. I, I look after the small trainers in Ireland. There's two associations for okay. the, look after all the trainers. Um, they, look, uh, it, it was unfortunate what was said, if you like, right? But if you go to any GAA match, rugby match, hurling match, and on the sideline coaches, everything, you'll say, you'll hear things not too dissimilar to what Ted said. Okay? And it's like, 
take his legs, take the head off him, whatever. Usually, you know, that happens all the time. And well, I'm not trying to defend it. I'm just trying to qualify it into and put a perspective on it. That just because he said it doesn't mean that he's actually does it. I know Ted, and he's he's an exceptionally good trainer. He's he has a history of of being a good trainer. He's a history of welfare of being good. So by no means would he have done that. So it was an off the cuff for Mark. It's unfortunate that it was actually that he's on camera and he was on the I had a microphone. On it, it wasn't off the cuff the second time, John. No, no, I understand that. I understand that. Right, but. Ted, the other thing is, I'm not again. I'm not defending it because it shouldn't have, shouldn't have been said, and it definitely shouldn't have been said. And and I'm not saying it it happens by Ted because his records speak for himself. But in the heat of the moment, watching a horse do that, he said things he probably shouldn't have said. But the other stuff's way to look at this as well is whether we like it or not, and you've got the Marmite situation, some people love Ted because of his honesty and because of the way he speaks, and it's, it's funny that we pick out certain things that Ted has said, and they're sound bites, really positive sound bites, but they're similar because they're straight from the heart, exactly as, as he, he says it, without thinking sometimes. And this is where the issue can punch us on. Of course it was unfortunate, of course he shouldn't have said it. He apologised profusely for it. His record doesn't justify the vitriol that's happening now because he's got a clean record mm. and he's a positive trainer and he's if you go to his yard and you see the way the horses are looked after you see how he trains them um, but he is Ted that's not an excuse now it's very noticeable John and, and I'm, I'd be the first to admit that uh, you know any objections that I have are born from uh, a position of ignorance on horse racing because I don't have any interest in it. Uh, and is it fair to say that those who object to horse racing actually tend to know sweet little or nothing about it? Uh, it would that be your argument? Not, it's probably not fair because there is some people who object to it but are knowledgeable, and that's fair enough. They have their point. And it's, 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 uh, what I love is, right, if you have somebody in that position and you can actually debate it with them. What I don't like is the ones you can't even have a debate with, where it gets so extreme that it's black or white. Well, Aideen Urell has given you the, the platform now. She hasn't interrupted, and I'm sure she probably wanted to interrupt. Uh, so, so let's have a quick debate on, on, on you know, the pros and cons of this industry. It has huge pros in, in that yeah. it is uh, the equine industry is a huge boost to our economy, to, uh, you know, f to trade, to tourism. To uh, there's a huge ancillary buzz and employment mm. level uh, because of uh, the Irish equine industry. But from Aideen's side, does it need to be as cruel a sport as it seems to the uninitiated like me to be? First of all, I do know something about it. My grandfather was a horse trainer. My uncle was a jockey who was killed uh, at a point to point at 23 years of age. Now, this is a good long time ago. Uh, so I do, I do know a little bit about it. Um, uh, in fact, he never put, my grandfather never had sent his horses for slaughter. He kept them all to an old age and buried them on the land. But this was going back, you can't do that now, going back years ago. Um, it's, as I said to you, you see, it's the dark side of horse racing that you talked about the entertainment. Uh, all that sort of thing, the employment and everything, but it does have a dark side in that, as I said, you, you, we, we went through the figures there of attrition 
and we talked about the number of horses killed. I continued watching Punchestown the other day and I could not. It just sickened me, all the falls. It was like, it was carnage. And, to a lot, and this is described as thrills and spills. The thrills and spills of horse racing is it's described and there's people cheering and everything. But I mean, this is the tragedy. Uh, people don't look at that side of it at all. They don't understand that horses are bred to race. If they're no good, they go, go to the, the knackery. That's it. They go to the slaughterhouse. How are they disposed of? Uh, and, and can I, can I, can I come in? Can I come in? Sure. sure. Yeah. Okay, let, let's well, let John answer that. I'd like to know no, how dead horses are disposed of as well. 12,000 horses, sorry, since 2016 to 2020, in four years. You put 12,000 horses, you wouldn't fit them in a field. It's, it's horrendous. It's just like greyhound racing. And nobody even thinks about that. Nobody even considers that side of it, the suffering and, and the falls, the, the, the horses shot, uh, the broken legs. I saw a horse uh, in Punchestown. Uh, there, I saw him on, off, uh, just on the screen coming along, and the camera went away from it with his leg kind of dangling. Okay, let, let's, let's let John answer here. John? See, where we have to be careful, right? I, I'm not... Listen, I, I empathise and I understand. I'm in racing a long time. And I'll just give you an example, right? I, I've got five or six horses here, and I've in the last three or four years, I have given away or sold for very small money at least six or seven horses who weren't good enough to race. They are all either now in, in eventing or one day are showing or riding horses. Now, this is where, when we have this conversation, if you don't have a balance on it, we're, we're in trouble. Right? This is where, and I'm not trying to take away from what that lady is saying either, because I, I do understand that there is issues. I never said there isn't. But we're in a lot better place than we were five years ago, and we're a million times better than we were 10, 20, 30 years ago in the care of, of animals. It, the majority, major, the very vast majority of people that own and train horses are incredibly uh, patient, uh, look after their horses at an incredible level. I know you hear this all the time being banded out, but it is actually true. I mean, they're treated like God. There is programs being set up now. If the RDS has a racing to ride, racehorse to riding class, they are all over it. Every show in Ireland has a racehorse to riding class. You saw the punches on all these horses. One horse was found in a stable that cost 250 grand, was found in some stable in Cork, was rehabilitated, brought back to, brought back to health and stuff like that, and was shown as a riding class. So there is, to balance it, there is massive positives. The industry is in is in a good path to putting things right. Like the whole thing with slaughter has changed, the whole legislation about it, the rules and regulations, the, the whole thing, how you control your animals, the, the, the vaccinations, the passports have all changed. And you, you have to take that into account. I'm not John, John how, how are horses tomorrow. put down and how are they disposed of? They're put down usually by a bolt or a, a bullet. And, and then turned into what, dog food? Um, I presume so. I don't really know because it, you can't put them back into the food chain. The majority of horses cannot go into the human food chain. Um, they ended up there once. That's, a, that's a different story. Uh, and another another topic I'd, I'd like to address is horse racing isn't a public service. It generates a, a hell of a lot of money. What, why is it getting public funding? It should be self-sustaining. <laughs> 
see, you're in a, this is a different conversation now, but I understand where you're coming from. Horse, horse racing, or equine industry, I call it, right? Um, which is the broader terminology. It, but I don't have the numbers off the top of my head now. I mean, an incredible money into revenue through to employment, to taxation, everything that goes with it. And the whole, it's like you've got to remember, you have to treat, look at horse racing and breeding the same as you look at uh, a, a business or a company that has 400 people working for it in a factory in Swords. You, you understand what I mean? It, it's, it needs to start, people need to start looking at it slightly differently. It is an industry. The, the controls and regulations now are stronger and harder than they've ever been. If you look at what's going on with a lot of the cases that are happening through the IHRB, there is a level now of intensity in horse welfare and horse management that I've never seen in my 20 or 30 years in racing, which can only be good. We're never going to change everything overnight, but the awareness and the, the care has dramatically increased. Yes, horses are going to die, and I'm not taking away from that. And sometimes we got to see it as it is. But the jumps have got safer. The, 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 the artificial hurdles have got safer. The regulations on the whip have got safer. There is, there is a movement. I don't necessarily disagree with not using a whip. because Yeah, we've uh, just had somebody from the industry saying that, you know, m- most of the whipping you're seeing if you don't have a trained eye isn't actually happening at all. That they're exactly. limited to having, having seven strikes of the horse. Um, so you, you can't have both. If, if the whip doesn't hurt, then why need it? And if it does, yeah. obviously if it is hurting, you're putting no, a limit I, on seven strikes. We're going to get into a million different arguments here in conversations. I understand. I see that. And I don't necessarily disagree with having a certain amount. In England, and I'm sure in Ireland now, there's a thing called Hands and Heels series, which is for young jockeys. It's teach them how to ride the horse without the whip. So the stuff's going on. This is where we have to be very careful when we go to an extremes on a situation like the TED, which, which brings out a million days, same as the, as the Gordon thing did and, the, and all those other cases. We have to be so careful that we don't balance the conversation with a proper debate on it. And, and also, you have to look at the positives. You're, you're never going to fix everything overnight. Okay? But, in my experience, it, there's a massive change of foot. There is, there is no... Okay. Years and years and years ago, you, you, anyone could train a racehorse fundamentally. Now, the difficulty in getting a license, and also, secondly, in retaining your license, has got a million times harder. So, therefore, and even to own a racehorse now, to own any horse now, and this is one of my, my problems I have with, with the government, is, for instance, like, like, no one is talking, like, okay, right, we have trotters, we have other types of sport horses with no regulation, and we have horse racing with some people say over-regulation, right? Uh, so there's a bit of that going on. Until we get a balance in the country of how horses are treated properly and how they're controlled, but in the racing industry, you have a level of control that's not seen except for maybe in the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah, but that's the difference. At, at the end of the day, the horses that are winning and uh, you know have <laughs> good chances of creating a good bloodline of winners will be treated five-star. At the other end, it's the opposite, really, isn't it? No, I disagree totally. Absolutely totally. I'm a small yard. I have none of those good horses. I have none of those big horses. All my horses would be low-rated handicappers, and they are treated no different, better in some cases, than some of the top horses. Okay, fair enough. I'm only asking. And you know, I, I no, do, no, it's, I, a fair, it's a fair question, but again, yeah. that's where the balance needs to come, with, with, with an intellectual conversation with people who are in the industry who are willing to have the debate. What happens in a lot of cases, the debate gets so hot 
that he gets either pulled or stopped. Yeah. So until we can sit around the table, all of us, from all different elements of it, and actually have a, a reasonable, rational debate, because you're not, no matter what anyone says, you're not going to stop horse racing tomorrow. Right. But so therefore, why not, why, why not, instead of trying to stop it, why don't we try and engage and maybe the issues that are there, try and get to a position that, that we can create a better industry for everyone, which is what's happening now. To be, to be fit, its name is the sport of kings, I suppose. Uh, I'm cognizant also that your association, the Irish Racehorse Trainers Association, uh, generously contribute annually to RACE, which is the Irish Horse Welfare Trust and the Blue Cross Horse Ambulance. Uh, John, thank you for coming on the programme this morning. Cheers. Thanks, Th- thanks very much. I want to take one more caller here. Stay with me, Aideen. Uh, Kathleen, good morning. Good morning, Mick. Um, I don't uh, bet on horses now or I'm not into... Uh, a horse racing or anything like that but I would be into the welfare of the animals and because it's an industry and because it's a business I'd have no doubt about it that there is animal cruelty in there there is no doubt about it that there is as regards to whipping the whip might be light but it's all bordering on forcing the animal and I think it's bordering on animal cruelty I've no doubt about it that's what I feel that's what my gut instinct is all right, Kathleen, thank, thank you for that. Some texts on the uh, topic as well. Uh, would agree and disagree with you. Horse racing is animal exploitation. That's a fact. You couldn't whip humans into doing things because it's cruel punishment and horses have feelings and feel pain every bit as much as we do. It's cruel to treat horses like this, says another texter. They are beautiful animals who do great work, for example, with autistic children. Uh, so they should not be abused by whipping them so they can make money for someone else. This and greyhound racing should not get any of the government's money. Cutting funding to RTE would be more suitable. It's a joke, says another texter. Final word to you, Aideen Urell. Uh, you're a campaign director for the Irish Council Against Blood Sports. Um, are you barking up the wrong tree, taking on the sport of kings? Um, whatever about greyhound racing, which doesn't seem to have the same groundswell of popular support, as popular as it is. We're talking about cruelty to animals here. <clears throat> that the is correct. That, <clears throat> the, the, whip should be, the whip should be taken out of racing. If you took a whip to any other animal like that, you would be in court for that. But why should they be exempt from from beating a horse? It, it's, a, it's, it's really wrong. And uh, uh, Dr. you said is right. It's just like um, greyhound racing. And it's all, <coughs> excuse me, about gambling. It's all, it's, it's the, gambling is at the heart of this. There's, there's a greyhound, there's, sorry, there's um, horse racing every single day in Ireland and it's to facilitate gambling. And the government gave the, um, greyhound, the horse racing industry 1.2 billion since 2001. Uh, if it's so wonderful and it's so good and it provides so much um, to the economy, why do they need to be propped up? Uh, I think it's because there's a deficit. Looking at uh, a report, the total direct and uh, stimulated expenditure of the Irish breeding and racing industry estimated at 1.84 billion, with their gross value added at 813 million. That's why they need the money. Yeah, well, you know, if it was if it was uh, economically viable, they shouldn't need that money. They shouldn't need to be propped up by the taxpayer, and the, the greyhound racing is also propped up by the taxpayer as well. 17 million annually. Okay. It's, it's disgraceful. And the reason, if you've just joined I'm us... I'm sorry, can I just say about sure. the whip? Sure. 
I, I continued to watch the racing at Punchstown, and there was an occasion where a jockey who was in, it was at the finish of the race, he lost his whip. He went on to win the race. He went on to actually um, pass the other two um, horses, and he won the race, and he had no whip to beat the horse with. So there's no need for a whip. If the whip was taken out, it would be a level playing field for all the jockeys. But at the very least they can do in horse racing, it's at the least, is take the whip out of racing. That's that that, that would be, that would be a good start for you. John Fitzgerald, yes. though, has said that horses will die. Uh, that's the name of the game here. It's, it's inevitable horses will die. Is that an acceptable cost of doing business? It's not acceptable. 12,000 horses put down, imagine, healthy horses from, from 26, in four years. It's outrageous. And 1,166 horses dead from, from uh, fall, fatal falls or heart attacks. Heart attacks is another thing that happens to a horse on the, on, during racing. Isn't that outrageous? A horse is galloping away and suddenly gets a heart attack. How awful. Aideen, we'll leave it there. Thank you, thank you very much for your contribution this morning. Thank you. Thanks. Cheers. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. And a very good morning from the Neil Prendival Show. Now, uh, some texts uh, which you are welcome to text us, of course, in 086-8104-106 on this topic. Uh, horse racing is always getting a bad rep, especially nowadays in the cancel culture society. I've worked in the industry both abroad and in this country, and I can assure you all the people working day in and day out with these animals have absolute dedication. It's totally bizarre, says another texter. It's acceptable because of money. Can you imagine if sportsmen use dogs to whip and kick on? Uh, they're not whipped down the track make the uh, whip is flashed down the side of the horse and past the head jockeys are fined and suspended if they are deemed to be overusing a whip I'm just uh, wondering uh, what's an acceptable level of whipping uh, is it set at seven? Why is it set at seven if it hurts the horse? Uh, it's very noticeable that uh, once again, as you said, make those like yourself who are objecting uh, to horse racing. It wasn't objecting, just trying to get a, a balanced uh, debate going. Actually tend to know very little about it. Um, if Gordon Elliott was pictured sitting on a carcass of a, bullet, a bullock or a pig, there would not have been the same outcry from the snowflake uh, brigade. Uh, no way should taxpayers' money be used for this or any other sport that involves cruelty to animals. Uh, yes, horse racing and greyhound racing should be banned, along with hair chasing, says another texter. Now, great competition as we sort your summer out. Pair of tickets each day this week for Riverdance on Sunday, June 5th. We won't be opening the lines for about an hour or so, uh, but we have your summer sorted. We want you to guess the artist of these two Eurovision songs, but don't call now. Two short little clips there of uh, Eurovision songs. Uh, both winners as well, if I remember correctly. We've news at 11 on the way. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. 104 to 106 Red FM. This is the Neil Frienderville Show. And always an emotive topic, the topic of cruelty to animals, uh, whether it exists or not, uh, and uh, permeates through sport, uh, is what we're talking about. And uh, Dara O'Shea is online too. Good morning, Dara. Hello. 
Hi. How are we getting on? Good. What point do you want to make? My point is that if the horses, if the thoroughbreds were not being used for racing, that they would they would be not, they wouldn't even be bred, they'd be nearly gone extinct, because they would not be used. And for everything that's going on in the world at the moment, horse racing shouldn't have a be a pop at because it's something for people to watch. And there's a lot of people interested in it. And on top of that, the amount of money that pe- the people make from that industry that provides Ireland with money is unreal. The dairy industry in Ireland and the horse racing industry are on par with the amount of money that provides the Irish government. So that's my point, is that you can't be saying it's cruelty when it's not. The whip is made of foam. It's only there for noise. It's not there to actually hurt the horse. Okay, but why is there a limit then on the number of times it can be used? Because, no, I don't understand why seven. It could be eight, it could be six. It doesn't, doesn't necessarily have to be seven. But it's limited because back a few years ago, you could hit them as many times as you want. You could hit them straight and straight from start to finish if you wanted to. But seven is now the limit here in Ireland and in England. Well, what's the whip meant to do? Put fear into the horse to make it run faster, is it? Only noise. You need help when you're pushing out a horse of death of 500 kgs. So it's, it's, like, it's like egging on a, a, a running competitor. Say, go on, go yeah. on, dig deep, or a boxer. Or, yeah, or, or shouting at a GAA match. Exactly. You're, you're, you could be shouting abuse at a GAA match. But that's the exact same as just trying to shout at the horse. If you were down at the, the sideline of a race course, the amount of people, the jockeys, shouting at the horses, just trying to get them to go. It's all about noise. It's pushing out and it's noise. So it's not cruelty. It's not hurting them. And if, the, if there's blood drawn, that jockey is suspended. Suspended for a couple of days, a couple of meetings, a couple of races. If there's so, blood drawn, how can there be blood drawn if it doesn't hurt the horse in the first place? If they turn the whip or do something that they shouldn't. Like, okay. some, sometimes, only sometimes, a person could, like, it has been proven, and there was a picture put up on the newspaper about eight years ago, on a fella that put an electric wire down through his whip to give a shock to the horse to drive it on. He got suspended for nearly a year, if not more. I don't even know if he even got back racing. It was not allowed. He got heavily suspended with money, too. The racing industry is so looked after as regards cruelty. That has to be said. That was a sinister motive. He had motive there. Motive, he, yes. He, he, he planned that. Uh, a, a couple of texts I didn't get to, and it's not that I was shying away from them. Why don't the hypocrites in the anti-bloodsport lobby go into halting sites and protest against sulky racing? which is a thousand times worse than horse racing. And what about the traveller's horses, says another texter, driven to their debts? Ask her about that. I know you will not. I would have if I uh, had gotten it in time, but uh, what would you say to that? What I'd say to it is, the sulky racing industry, what you actually don't see behind the whole thing, I'm not a part of it, but I have actually seen, there's a place out where in Black Cormac, where they actually look after, not that they look after, but they look, it's a rehabilitation centre for horses of all categories. Racing, sulkies, show jumping, eventing. And the amount of people that the, from the Halton sites that bring their horses there for recovery, they're treated like royalty, those horses. Now, don't get me wrong, there are some cases where the horses aren't treated with royalty. But 
for the horses that are in the higher part of the psyche industry, they're looked after to no end. To no end. And yes, there is cases where horses aren't looked after. And I'm completely against that myself. But just all that has to be done is Cove Rescue, all those places, they can come in, they can take away those horses because they're not being looked after. But there is cases where people say, no, you're up here in Mayfield or you're somewhere else and you're sitting in your house and you're not doing horses, you're looking across the road and there's a load of horses in one field and you're going, ah, oh, they don't look too healthy if there's a bit of snow on their back during the winter. You're going to call Cove Rescue, but they're not round horses, but they'll still take them. So you have to ha- know when and when to call call for help. Like when the horse is showing his ribs and he looks sick, yeah, call, but not when he has a bale of hay in the field. Mm-hmm. Which I've seen that down in Cairn too, where horses have been taken away, even though there was a bale of hay in the field with them. Okay. Dar- Darren, thank you, thank you for that. I'm learning a lot here. Thanks a million. James Kennedy's on line one. Hi, James. How are you doing? Very good. You don't think that uh, funding should be go- uh, should be cut? Government funding? No, definitely not. No. Why not? Well, sure. They they, they give a good lot of, um, I suppose, money back to the the, the local loca- locality and things like that. And and and, and I feel there's a, no there, there's nothing like a, a day at the race that someone has time to enjoy it. Yeah, you've worked with trainers, have you? You've been to a few I, meetings. I, I actually wo- I actually work with Dennis Hogan there at Christmas time, and there'd be times there'd be. There'd, there'd be about four or five vets in the yard and people checking the, the horses. Okay, and, and the vets would be checking just on pure health grounds, is it? See if they're ready oh, to course, race or what? Yeah, of course, yeah, of course, yes. Okay, four or five vets in one, one go? Yeah, and, and you know, there'll be blacksmiths, three or four, nearly every second week as well, you know, checking their feet and things like that. Okay, so you've worked with trainers, and how, how do you feel conditions were for the horses and the trainers where you worked? Top class couldn't fall at one base. They right. did a better, a better accommodation than you or I would at times. Okay, and and these were these successful horses or mediocre oh, yeah, horses? Yeah, or? Um, yeah, fairly successful horses. Dennis Hogan and I know another lad out near Temple Temple Moor. He he's fairly successful as well. He's the top trainer in Ballon Robe and Kilbegan and Limerick. Okay, it's an institution, really, isn't it? it has... Oh, it is. Yes. I guess there's going to be some cruelty. There's going to be horses that will die. And that is the crux of the issue here. Is it worthwhile for any animal to die for human pleasure? Well, no, but sir, we'll try and keep them alive as long as they could, wouldn't they? Yeah. Or they wouldn't all die intentionally, and they here. All right, James. Thanks, Emil. Thank uh, you. Let's take one more caller on the topic. Uh, John O'Donovan thinks Ted Walsh's comments were taken out of context. Morning, John. Morning, Mick. How are you doing? Good, and yourself? Yeah, good. Uh, look, I think Ted Walsh, because, I mean, Ted Watch is a good trainer. He's been around a long time. There's no black marks against him. And I think, it, look, it was like someone would say, and the car call was pretty low, and the crowd were dissatisfied with maybe certain player or maybe more than one player. And they were passing marks. They said, Jesus, yeah, man, what a useless game here yesterday, naming him. He, he should be kicked all over the marina. No, that's just pure disappointment, frustration with the way the car call was performed or didn't perform on the day, right? There's no more going to go into the pitch or follow that player or players down the marina and actually kick them all over the marina. It's just passion on the day. That's all it is. It's just banter. It's passion. It's said in the spot of the moment. But there's no malice. Okay. Let, let me just play that Ted Walsh clip again because I know you want to make a kind of a, 
a corroborating point here on a different sport. Uh, mm. Let's just hear what Ted Walsh had to say again. Talk is right there too, towards the outside, Trans Prince. Ah, Trans Prince ducked left before it. He's jumped it already, but not this time. He's ducked out and he's out of the contest. Future proof, the last one jumping it. So now, Tech. Mike, look at the, at the horse that refused as well, too. He's a dirty, rotten son, so they refused that. Jump it both ways, man on his back. Cheers, I tell you one thing. A uh, hiding yeah. wouldn't be good enough for him. <laughs> It's a, it's a bit of a nasty thing to do when, when you've gone and jumped the jump already. Nasty? Is that all you can say? <laughs> you, we, might, we might get a look at the horse refusal again just because it's a bankers. Here he is uh, on the extreme left of your picture there now. Uh, look at him. Look at the dirty, rotten son. So he no intention is. Jesse gave him a horrible fall. It's one of the reasons follow him over and stand on him. God, he's a chicken hearted son, so isn't he that horse? Huh? Yeah, the horse, uh, the rider, by the look of his body language, had no idea he was going to do it not either. At all. Some Tew is really not enjoying it, but Ted, as we get to the halfway point, you can see the difference for a horse like Some Tew, a high class horse, but he just doesn't want to be here. You were saying, Ted, very early on, if you were Rachel Blackmore, you'd be coming for the gate. Oh, God, I'd have whipped him in up the road. As Barry says, I don't know why she went out on him, but I mean, like, uh, maybe she was, he was jumping out at home, but he missed the first or he missed the second. Took a half an hour to get up and off a rugby's double. She so have... you say, John, that Ted Walsh is uh, very good to his horses and is a very good trainer, despite what he's saying well, there, and that's all kind of taken well, out of well, context. Again, uh, in the context of what he previously said about GA players or whatever rugby players, I mean, the thing is, like, I mean, on the day, you've got two people involved in, in the racing, right? You've got the horse and you've got the jockey, right? Now, the, obviously, the horse is the, main, is the main person because if he's going to win the race, the jockey obviously can guide the horse, and if he's a good jockey, he knows, like, the temperament of the horse and whatever, like, and he knows how to guide the horse. But saying that, like, at the end of the day, the horse is the main person on the day. And what Ted Watts is doing, like, it's just, uh, I, I would make the comparison that if you're going to criticise, we'll say, Johnny Sexton because he had a bad game or something, whatever they are. You're criticising the athlete on the day. And the athlete on the day was the horse. And the horse didn't perform. He was better than the way he didn't perform. And that's the comment Ted Walsh is making. There's no difference. As I said, the horse is the athlete on the day. Johnny Sexton is the athlete on the day. Or, or Robbie Keane playing soccer or whatever. So it's just a comment, like, I mean, I mean, it's not like that Ted Watch is going to go around and actually do damage to that horse, no more than someone criticising one of the cockholders that they're going to bust their face outside party creeve. That's not going to happen. It's just a passion, the anger. There's so much disappointment in the day. I think people are making a mountain out of a bloody molehead. So when, when, when you texted in, John, you also wanted to make a comparison to all of us, uh, you know, who might be giving out here in the horse racing situation, applauding Katie Taylor for her win uh, and juxtaposing that but if we saw two women beating the head off each other well, on Patrick Street we'd be up in arms was a vi- if there was a video went up no, it's over the weekend you wouldn't be one of the first to speak in the boat yesterday morning probably right and it showed two women tearing the heads off each other and inflicting as much possible physical damage on the streets of Cork as they could and all been filmed and egged on by a baying mob of mas- mostly males Right? You would be appalled, your audience would be appalled, everyone would be appalled. So what is it, like, to me that's toggery. And what went down in the ring the other night is licensed toggery. Like, there's campaigns at the moment on the board after what happened, God love Ashley Murphy, and other misfortunate women that have died by the hands of their partners, husbands, ex-boyfriends, whatever, towards the strangers. And there's fierce campaigns now to, know, to get in new laws and everything to protect women and campaigns against violence against women. So why in the name of God they come in at people lauding Katie Taylor? Two girls going into the ring and the object of boxing, as you know, the same with the male, but I hate 
women's boxing because I think it's horrendous. The object of the exercise is the two girls to go in there and to inflict as much possible physical damage on each other as they can. So much so that then the man with the white shirt steps in and if he deems that this is dangerous, something serious could happen because people have died in the ring, right? He decides to stop the fight. And the only reason that he stops the fight is because he believes the other fighter is in danger of, of, of physical, serious physical harm. And the, the idea of bringing it home to Core Park now and have 90,000 people packed out again in a country where lately there has been so much violence against women and campaigns and to, again, having loaded males inside in Parky, uh, above in Core Park, being their heads off again, aiding Katie Taylor on to do as much damage to Saran as she possibly can. I think it's appalling. Yeah, of course, and I, I'm cognizant there was um, a former boxers dinner event in, I think it was in the Rochester Park Hotel. I know it was attended by Antishik Michal Martin uh, at the weekend, and, you know, I don't want to be getting the ire of the boxing community in Cork. Uh, they'll say it's a sport... Those who don't like it as a sport will say the intention of this particular sport when you set out male or female in the ring is to brain damage. Which, that's, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, like, in all context sports, you're going to get hurt, whether it's all in GA, whether it's rugby, whatever. See what happened to Boy now just some years ago. He nearly ended up with paraplegic, what they've done to him over New Zealand. But the thing is, like, the, the boxing, I mean, especially women, like, I mean, going to the ring, like, I mean, and the whole idea, it's headshot after headshot after headshot. Katie Taylor at the moment, like, I mean, it's pretty sharp. But what I don't want to see, where are these being mobbed now, egging uh, Horan and egging Horan to win again if, they, if it comes to this country or if it's back in Madison Square Garden? Is she going to end up in years to come in about 50 years of age, just like Muhammad Ali, being led around by the hand, just showing him off of the, the great star that he was, but the man didn't even know what he was after the time. Aren't you being a bit sexist, thing? though, John, by saying that you absolutely hate women's boxing and you just said again there, especially women. Uh, don't well, women have, I, I, have, I, I, have a I right to perform in that sport the same as men? The thing is, what you have the right or not? The thing is, the whole lot, I mean, why are we appalled if we saw two people tearing the heads off each other, two women on the streets? And why are we not appalled when we see two women inflicting as much possible damage as they can on each other inside the ring? One, one is, is, is toggery, the other is licensed toggery. We'll wait and see. I think she's still going to fill up Croke Park, though. But, John, you've given us pause for thought and things to think okay. about, as always. Thank, thank you. Th- thank you for coming on this morning. Cheers. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Thanks. Okay. Now, by email, Ashling got in touch yesterday. She got a taxi on Sunday night, and when she was getting out, she noticed some cards and picked them up, thinking they were hers. Uh, however, when she looked at them later words, uh, afterwards, the name on them was Sam W. Adekunle. Uh, it may have been a previous passenger or the driver himself who owns them. One of the cards is a passport card, uh, so she knows how important it would be to get them back to their owner. Uh, she flagged down the cab at Mox on the Bandon Road and then went to Farron Lee and onto Curraheen Road. So if you know or if you are Sam W. Adekunle, uh, then please get in touch and we'll put you in touch with Ashling. Uh, also, a mobile phone was found on the marina after the uh, Ed Sheeran gigs and that's been handed in to Anglesey Street Garda Station, I believe. Uh, uh, this came in to Neil at redfm.ie. Thank you for your kind words about me and taxi drivers in general. Last week, I had many taxi customers on both Ed Sheeran nights, mostly from out of town, who knew nothing about the almost three-kilometer walk or hike back into town after the show, and were very displeased about it. Elton John is next. He's up in a few weeks' time, uh, and I'm sure it'll be the same. The audience he is mostly appealing to is the over-50s 
who recognise his great work. A lot of the younger folk wouldn't have even heard of him. With the uh, word now well and truly out that if you're going to the park in Cork to expect a three-kilometre walk back into town afterwards, I'm sure a lot of the over-50s won't be up to it. And the younger crowd just don't want to do it. I wonder if it will deter people from going to the gigs there and uh, limit his selling capacity. On another note, there is a big taxi fare increase on the way in September 22. It's out for public consultation at the moment, but we all know what the results will be. There was an agreed 4.5% increase due in 2020, which required having to do two tests, one for recalibration of the taxi meter and a second for an NTA meter resealed test. However, having approximately 20,000 taxis in Ireland meant 40,000 face-to-face tests in the height of the COVID ca- pandemic. So it all got shelved. The taxi fare increase after public consultation uh, will be on 1st of September 2022. This will mean a 12, a 12% rise in taxi fares and mandatory credit card and debit card facilities uh, to be there in all taxi cabs. So that was in reference to comments that Neil made last week, thanking Neil for his kind comments uh, regarding the industry. And that came in on email from Ken. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. And a very good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. 27 minutes past 11 now. This is Mick Mulcahy. We've had uh, an email communication from John Crotty, who is the uh, manager at Spike Island. Hi all, here's a statement regarding unannounced private boat arrivals at Spike Island. In the interest of visitor safety, access to the island is by pre-arrangement only. This can be done by emailing admin at spikeislandcork.ie or by calling 021-237-3455. That's 021-237-3455 or admin at spikeislandcork.ie. The website clearly explains the process. Um, and it's a huge long website. It's uh, www.spikeislandcork.ie forward slash private dash vessel vessel dash landing dash licensed dash operators. You'd never remember it. Uh, but there you are. Health and safety is our number one concern, uh, says John Crotty. How come there was no health and safety when it was languishing, uh, when it was just sitting there and anybody could go over? Uh, now it seems to be in uh, county council use. It's a tourism attraction. Fair enough. Uh, there's uh, people buying tickets and going to see uh, the wonderful facilities inside um, the fort and um, why is the island closed off to to the public because it never was before certainly uh, I remember Spike Island when people were living there and people would go to the beach there and, and picnic there and what's changed health and safety wise I just don't understand and why do the public have to uh, apply for access to get there by pre-arrangement only but that's the statement as it reads from John Crotty who is the manager uh, at Spike Island uh, now let's uh, go to uh, back to our phone lines and to Derek Tobin uh, good morning Derek Jerry hello good morning good morning morning, morning Derek hi Michael hi now, your granddaughter had uh, her driving test cancelled twice since January. Tell us about that. That's right. Uh, the first time uh, it was cancelled, her test was at 10 o'clock in the morning and it was cancelled at half seven in the morning. Just on, on the same morning? On the same morning. The second time she had a driving test on the 25th of March and she got a text the night before at seven o'clock to say it was cancelled. Now, unfortunately... We didn't get we didn't get the text, so I went up that morning, and uh, with her, at, uh, prepared and all for the test, and they came out and they said uh, her test was cancelled. Now I did have a bit of a meltdown over it because 
this is the second time it happened. So uh, they said, look, we'll put you on a priority list. So she'll be on the priority list. Now, this is going in six weeks. Friday. Next Friday. And you can contact the RSA because uh, you, the, it came up that you're already on a priority list. Okay. So that's where it stands now. I think it's a scarcity. I tried to, to contact the RSA myself. And uh, you can't get into them. You can't be top party. But Michael, I am the top party. I'm driving my grandchild to work every morning and by uh, collecting her every evening. It's just a disgrace what's going on down here with the RSA, right? Okay, so the first time the there test was cancelled was at se- 7 o'clock in the morning, three hours before the test. The second time That's right. was at 7 p.m. That was the first time, Michael. And the, the second, second time, time was 7 o'clock. I cancelled it at uh, 7 o'clock the night before by text. Okay, 7 o'clock for a test that was at 10 a.m. on the 25th of March. Any reason for the cancellations? One or both? All they, all they, they said was that... Uh, sorry for the inconvenience. and that was it. Okay. Uh, and now you're on a priority list, but that kind of precludes you from contacting them at all, yeah? That's right. That's absolutely true, yeah. And uh, being the top party, they, I can't contact them either. I'm after trying it a couple of times... And it's coming up, uh, the uh, top party, not, uh, you just can't, I just can't cancel, uh, get on to them. And Michael, like, I'm, we're dri- the parents of these children are driving, are driving them to, sc- to school, driving them to work and everything, and on a priority list for six weeks, and it says on their, on their uh, program that uh, within three days. Mm. Yeah, the the last two times I've done this program, which is probably over the last 12 months, uh, this topic has come up again and again, uh, in that there's backlogs, there's lack of contact, you can't uh, g- get in touch with anybody, uh, the, the service doesn't seem to be fit for purpose, uh, there's huge waiting times, uh, and at the back end of it all, of course, there's hardship for families and for those youngsters and others trying to get... Uh, ratified as being able to drive fully licensed. I remember when, when my own son got his license, we couldn't get a we couldn't get the license printed in Cork. We had to drive to Athlone for God's sake. Yeah, it is ridiculous, isn't it? You know, it's it's, it's totally ridiculous. But you know what I can't understand about this testing Michael? There's driving schools giving them fourteen and fifteen hours uh, driving lessons and telling them that they're uh, they're fit to uh, to do their driving test and they go up there and in twenty minutes they're told they're not fit for the road. It's outrageous. I thought, actually, when this thing came up about the top day in distance, that your driving schools should be able to sign you off, the same as any course you do. Do you know what I mean? That's fair enough. But yeah, but that, that's that's open to abuse. That's open to financial <laughs> and backhanders and brown envelopes, isn't it? It, 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 it needs is. to be a ratified, yeah. a, a proper uh, affiliated, government-affiliated test independently. Yes, I can understand that as well. But it's very annoying, though, to... So we're trying to drive uh, your children to walk and come back again and and uh, have to wait for six weeks on the priority list. I mean, where are the priorities? I don't understand it. You know. Yeah. That, uh, so wh- wh- where do you go from here? Is it just a waiting game now? It's only a waiting game now. That's all this year. We have to wait until they get back to us. And you can't con- contact them in any way? Or can your granddaughter? No. No. She can't, she's trying to get into it again, uh, Michael, and um, it says you're, on a, you're already on a priority list. That's it. You can't do anything with it, you know? Okay, so it mustn't be much of a priority list, or it must be a very long one, if it's taking it's more than six yeah, it's weeks. 
Yeah, it's ridiculous, Michael. Uh, we have um, a grandson in the north and he did six lessons. His instructor said, you're ready for your test. And he went off and did his test and got it first time. Down here, you ha- you're, you're compelled to do the 12 lessons. Whether you're competent or not, after nine or ten, you still have to do the 12. And wait, and wait, and wait then. And she's, wait, she's, wait, how long, she's waiting forever for this test to come up. It's totally ridiculous. It really is. She's really frustrated now because she's, she's, um, she's starting her course in September, going to college in September, she's doing a um, postgrad, and she needs her car. Mm. She needs her car, like, it, it really, it's ridiculous. So, and, and her hands are tied, she can't, they won't answer her, they just, you're on a priority list, just tough, that, that, that's all she gets. Okay, meanwhile, so, the Minister for Transport is concentrating on um, people who are cutting and burning turf. Exactly. But so, Michael, in fairness, we're 60 days here in Cork, and we have, uh, we're looking for a bypass in Castle Martha for the last 20 years. And uh, there's, there's no talk at all about it. Young Jack O'Connor there, he was a young TD from, from Cove. He said it was the red line. Michael, Michael, uh, Michael, uh, he was, do you know the young fellow from Cove? He, yeah. he was brought in before the Fianna Fáil leader. And uh, he probably got a lollipop or something sitting down his way. No data or anything. They said it was going to be done. There's no word about it. It's just dead in the line. Uh, as, bypass, as bypasses go, it would seem to me that topographically anyway, it's, it's pretty flat land. That shouldn't be the hardest bypass in the world to complete. Not at all. And as well as that, when they, when they announced that uh, they were putting a cycle in from Middleton to Yall, I rang David Stanton and I said to him, uh, why wasn't there a train going there instead of the cycle in that was more needed? And he said the train would cost too much. It would cost 170 million to put a train on it and 16 million for a cycle in. Yet in Dublin, they're going to running a loose from Dublin City to, Cork, to Dublin Airport at a cost of billions. Do you know what I mean? Where yeah. is the logic in that? So we, 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 we took the tram services out of Cork and now they're talking about putting in lines again. Imagine the millions that'll cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just, they, they just can't do it. Look at the mess they made out of the tunnel. You know, that's after costing billions, billions, I'd say, to try and put it right. Yeah, well, what they're doing now is proposed at the start, but once again, it'll cost too much money. It's costing exponentially more. Now, hang on a second there, if you don't mind, Derek Frank, good morning. Morning, Nick, or thanks. Very good. The difficulty in getting Irish licences, but uh, you're saying there is a kind of an anomaly now. Ukrainians can just exchange theirs. That's all they can do. Eamon Ryan announced that last week. They just need to, if they have a, a driving license from the Ukraine, they can just exchange it. Now, obviously, driving conditions in both countries are probably a million miles apart. They wouldn't know. They they probably have good roads over there. Like, but um, I mean, the, the the RSA is just a total joke. Um, it's another quango, nothing else, and a money-making exercise. I mean, I think that. The person there now just made a point, like, 12 lessons. You could be fully confident after one or five. You know? Um, I mean, yourself, Mick, you're driving a long time. If you'd done your test tomorrow again, you'd probably fail it. Probably would, if, uh, you know, and I would consider I myself more, a pretty good driver. More, ah, yeah, but most people probably would. But, I mean, they need to sort it out. Well, same as everything else in this country, like, they can sort nothing out. But, I mean, just handing licenses to people, irrespective of the situation. I totally agree that we have to take them in. But licences should have been down at the very end of the list. 
Yeah. Uh, it, it, it seems there's an inordinate amount of hardship uh, that's being, it, it's just been increased and increased by bureaucracy here. Uh, and it's a year ago now I'm saying that this service is not fit for purpose. It needs a cash injection. It needs resource injection. It needs somebody to grasp the nettle. Uh, and it doesn't seem like our Minister for Transport is doing it. No, and I mean, they brought, they brought in the law there a few years back. Um, I can't remember his name. No, but his daughter was killed. Um, that if you, drive, if you drive unaccompanied, it's a very, very serious offence. Until you're ready to do so, licensed to do so. That's the Until you have Glenn. I mean, yeah, and you have to have a, a, a driver with you. I mean, in fairness, people going to kids, even 20 and 30 euros, going to college, going to work, and waiting. Surely there should be some exemption once you've done your 12 lessons and applied for your driving test. It's not your fault you're waiting and between 1 and 24 years to get it. Yeah. You should be able to drive alone. You know, okay, okay we, we have we have the full drive license, then we have the N place, the numpty place, and the L place. The numpty place. The L place. Put something in between. The W place, waiting. Waiting, yeah. Uh, but but have, uh, have been endorsed by a fully qualified driving instructor. Uh, Absolutely. That I am fit, fit for the test. I'm waiting for the test. I'm waiting uh, for the test and leave me drive on my own. I mean, it's a very, very simple solution, but we don't do simple solutions. No, we don't do simple here. We do Irish solutions. You know, we don't. And provided the car isn't run on turf. <laughs> we'll leave it there, guys. Thanks for highlighting it again. Thank you, okay, Thank you very much, Derek Tobin and Frank. Yes? Mick, that was the Clancy Law that that, that man was talking about yes. in Formoy. Yes, that he brought that in. But Mick, just to say, you see, you do your theory test and you have to get 40, 45, 35 out of 50. You pass that. And they, they do their 12 lessons. They're more competent on the road than I am today, I can assure you. And then they go up for the test and they have to lift the bonnet and they ask more questions. Those children are so ready for the road and able to drive. Mick, and, 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 and petrified then and waiting for the thing. It's absolutely ridiculous. Mick, thank you so much for your time. Thank thanks, you. Thanks a million. Did you bump into Ed Sheeran at all over the last week? No, no, I didn't, but my grandchildren did, and it was absolutely brilliant. They were delighted with ah, this. Ah, fantastic. Were, I, I heard my, my old buddy Trevor Sheehan was looking after him very well in your, in your fine oh, area. I, oh, I, absolutely, they were delighted with it. Mick, we've probably opened a can, a can of worms now, but so be it. No, it's, it, it, every time <laughs> I come on this programme, uh, we're, we're getting this sort of sentiment, uh, you know, that people, young people are being disenfranchised. They cannot progress yeah. in their lives yeah. and their jobs because... A government function is not fit for purpose. Uh, and no, nobody seems I, to be saying, this is what we'll do. There, there was a sensible suggestion from Frank. Okay? Well, you know, what? once they have a stamp from a, a licensed um, yeah. driving school instructor or driving school owner uh, that it goes to the boss to say, okay, it's on you. I, I'm, I'm endorsing this person is ready for the test. That yeah, they should absolutely. then... And just in the face of this huge backlog. Uh, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get rid of this as soon as we get rid of the backlog. Fair enough. Um, but when they're ready, they should be, uh, you know, access should be there within a couple of weeks to a test. So thank you Absolutely. for bringing it up again. And thank you so Thanks, much, guys. Michael. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All the bye best. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Now, I want to get to this email because um, I'm happy to clarify this. Uh, hi there. We're getting calls regarding a caller to your show named Dara. 
apparently he suggested that cove rescue horses call to people's land to seize their horses. I actually wasn't sure he was saying cove. Um, I suspected he was, but now it seems uh, there is a, an outfit called Cove Rescue Horses doing good work. And as a member of Cove Rescue Horses, I can inform you that we do not do this as we don't have the authority to do so. Any call or email we receive regarding a welfare case is reported to the relevant authorities who then deal with it themselves directly. Kind regards from Tara. Uh, so any suggestion that Cove Rescue Horses uh, actually go out there on a whim or on, uh, you know, if somebody informs them uh, and they go and seize horses is not the case because uh, Tara informs us they do not do that. They do not have the authority to do so. And any call or email that Cove Rescue Horses get regarding a welfare case is reported to the relevant authorities uh, who then deal with it themselves directly. Happy to clarify that and thanks for the communication, Tara. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 0818-104-106. And it's coming up on a quarter to 12 on this Wednesday morning, the 4th of May. If you're a Star Wars fan, May the 4th be with you. Now, a pair of tickets each day to Riverdance on Sunday, June the 5th, live of the marquee. We've got your summer sorted. Each daily winner being entered into the draws well at the end of the week to have their prize upgraded to include a pre-concert meal for two people at Sober Lane, Cork's lively gastro pub in the heart of the city. So it's all kicking off. All the fun of the fair, live of the marquee, Friday, May 27th. Uh, we're not opening the lines now, but we always try to give you two listens, at least uh, to these songs. So guess the artist and title of the two Eurovision songs. But don't call just now. We'll tell you exactly when to call. Have a listen. Two winners there, if I remember. Uh, we'll open the lines in about 10 minutes' time on that on the Neil Prandeville Show. Of course, our new phone number is 0818-104-106. The old 1850 is gone at 0818-104-106. Now, for something <clears throat> completely different. Lacy thongs and sheer undergarments designed for the male body are shaking up the traditional lingerie market, the New York Times reports. Now, we all know that U.S. fashion trends generally end up on this side of the Atlantic in a very short time. So uh, Seamus took to the streets to get the, and showed some very revealing pictures, actually, of male lingerie to elicit the response of the Cork public. Why would he come in home looking like that? Well, fellas dressed like that now, because you tell me. But that's, that's male lingerie. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Okay, fellas, yeah, fair enough. No, it's not. It's actually straight men. Oh, no, I wouldn't have my husband in that. I'd be worried about that. I wouldn't have my partner in that, no. I'd be worried. I'd be very worried about that now. Imagine it. Is it the colour or? Is it the colour? It's everything. Look at that there now. Do you think that would hide anything there between his legs? If you came home to the the other half and that, what, what do you think she would make of it? I, I'd say she, I'd be in big trouble. Why is that? <laughs> is it the colour or <laughs> no? The whole thing. <laughs> I would never look like that in here. <laughs> so you 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 never go for something like that. It's, it's something that's kicked off since the pandemic. It's been around since uh, the 1983 in the kind of the gay scene, but it's gone into the the more kind of. 
I suppose mainstream now, and there's a lot of company, a lot of companies on board copying it. I could, I could believe it, all right. So it's, it's it's not it's not for you. Not for me, definitely not. If he wants to wear it, he can wear it. I, I'll still love him no matter what he wears. <laughs> Is it because of the color or? No, I just I don't have a preference really. <laughs> it's it's a package to be unwrapped, no matter who wears it. Jesus. <laughs> is that a good Jesus song, Mikey? Or my other half came home and something like that? <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, it, it's male lingerie. I, I, yeah, I can kind of see that. Oh my God, Almighty! <laughs> What's wrong with it? What's beautiful? To be gorgeous, as you might say. <laughs> is it the colour or? Oh no, the colour is beautiful. The colour is gorgeous, but it's a bit too 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 revealing, to be too see-through now for my fella. Okay. If it was more fitted, like, and more covered. So you'd like to open the packets uh, carefully? Yeah, definitely. I prefer to be able to not see too much at the start and then have a look. <laughs> it's not how I anticipate, not how I'd imagine that I'd see a male... Kind of. It should be kept for the, I suppose, the, the no. female gender? No, it's not that. It's um, I don't think it actually shows the male physique in its best form because I think that specific design is probably ultimately designed for a female form. And I'm not saying there couldn't be a male equivalent. I think that's just not it. Oh, what about yourself? Is it something you'd wear? Definitely not. No! Oh, is it the colour? They could probably do it nude or something, I'd say. Well, we'd have to look at that then. Male lingerie on the Neil Prandeville show. Seamus Whelan's with me standing kind of funny. You're wearing some. Um, have, you, have you got that Borat mankini on there, is it? I refuse to comment on the basis <laughs> that it might incriminate me. <laughs> <laughs> Male lingerie. I mean, as one of the... One of those people correctly said, lingerie was designed for the female form. It's not really flattering. Um, I'm, I'm looking at some of the pictures here. This, it's like budgie smugglers. Um, well, Mick, it's something I picked up on. Well, not the actual item now. It's the, the article. We'll we get that straight, OK? OK. Um, I came across it on the New York Times, and I think the Irish Times picked up on it as well. It's um, in the US since 1983, where it was, I suppose, uh, developed for a certain section of male society. And uh, since uh, the pandemic uh, kicked in, um, the whole trend has eked into the mainstream um, of the uh, the board bedrooms. I um, so we decided to go out and have a have a chat with people and see what what they thought. Because as you said in your intro, whatever happens in the states kind of ends up over on this end of the water. Now. Purely for research purposes, right? Right, uh, okay, I believe you. Thousands I, I, wouldn't. I am only saying this, okay, and I just hope my wife doesn't go through my phone. There is um, a group uh, in a rural area of Cork that um, has been set up. It's uh, an Ann Summers group, but specifically for males, and there there is a market out there where... Okay, let me, let, let me guess, let me guess. They've, they've made a wordplay on Ann Summers, have they? Well, it's Man Summers. <laughs> Or Man Winters. Man Winters. <laughs> and, and so anyone who's interested in uh, any of the males out there, or maybe the females who want to buy it for their, for their men, mm. where, where do they go to access this sort of uh, salacious material? 
Well, uh, Amazon is a good uh, a good reference point. I think it starts at about ten euros um, for some of the stuff, but there's a lot of the mainstream. Um, I suppose. Um, uh, I. What's the word I'm looking for now? I don't, I don't know. Very careful. I haven't a clue. <laughs> the, uh, the the mainstream uh, retailers are uh, are are fashion houses are are, are making these uh, these garments now. Mm. So, um, Fee, Fee says, "Sexy lingerie for a man to me is a fresh pair of boxers from Pennies." Thank you very much. Does anyone else feel this unrelenting pressure to normalise the fe- feminization of men? Says another texture. David's in line two. Morning, David. Very good. I can barely hear you, though. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, one second there, I'll try and put you in close. See what oh, that probably won't work because we have a bit of a delay in broadcast here. Uh, what comment do you want to make, though? No, we don't can have you hear me now? I can hear you now. Oh, that's good. Sorry, my phone is giving a bit of trouble there. Sorry about that. Are you into this kind of thing yourself, David? Well, I wouldn't be into it myself, but I wouldn't have a problem with it either. As you, you made a good point there, I think the boxers are probably the best kind of lingerie for a man, really, like, you know? Are, are, are the boxers still in vogue now? Are they the kind of uh, tighter trunk shorts what most men wear now? Or is, it, well, is, is, is there still, is there still um, uh, an opening for the tighty whities I don't know about that, no. Like, I remember one time I had to use the tighty whities because I had nothing else left, like, and it just it didn't feel right, like, you know? Yeah. You have uh, to use the boxers, like, that's the one. Oh, uh, the boxers leave everything flop around, though, don't they? Jeez, it's very early for this, isn't it? <laughs> So anyway, we finally have a valid reason why Father Ted and Father Dougal uh, can be in the laundry section of a shop. Well, the biggest That's laundry right, yeah. department in Ireland. <laughs> okay, would you be into it, uh, trying it yourself if we got you some samples, David? Um, look, I'll take anything free, as I said. Like, but um, you know, we were on about the male physique there. Like, there are some fellas that are the gym heads though, and they're looking well. But the lockdown didn't do me the best, so it probably wouldn't be as flattering on me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's the whole thing, and and um, I, I don't think Borat did the world a service by inventing the mankini either, or certainly for uh, publicising it. Uh, those shocking images, I just can't get them erased from my head. <laughs> um, Tim Curry there from the Rocky Horror Picture Show, that old movie there from the 70s, he did fairly well with it, like, but, but it wouldn't be my thing now, but like, fair play, and he rocked us all right, like, you know. Okay, Kay says by text, well, I'm not washing them and hanging them out in my line. <laughs> Thanks for the call, David. Appreciate it. Not a bother. Thanks. See you again. All the best. Bye-bye. Uh, all right, then. Lacy thongs and sheer undergarments certainly have piqued the interest of many of the Cork textures. Uh, a lot of men would say they uh, they would, uh, but then uh, they wouldn't in the end of the day. There's a lot of things men like, but they get ashamed about it. Um, well, Anne Summer should be rebranded to Johnny Winters, they said. Uh, not Man Winters, but Johnny Winters. Uh, I can't wait to dress up in a little lacy number, only for my missus to tell me she has a headache again, says Ryan. Jesus, can we not just have the sexy laundry f- uh, for us uh, worn by the women? It's our one thing. Uh, come on. Uh, I saw these on Amazon lately, says uh, another texter. Uh, just go to the men's underwear, filter by lowest price first, and all the first ones are men's lingerie. Men have actually been wearing these for years. It's not a new trend at all. 
Michael Guinea's will have to close down soon, says Marie, if this comes into vogue. What a great tradition uh, Michael Guinea's is in Cork and continues to thrive on Oliver Plunkett Street. Another texture says, um, I agree, uh, there is unrelenting pressure uh, from the woke brigade uh, on the feminization of men. Uh, Stop the world, I want to get off, says another texture. Men were men, women were women in my day. And squirrels study the human race to see where it all went wrong. Don't know what that refers to, but that comes in from Owen. Uh, at least you can now, uh, at least now when men say you should go get some sexy lingerie, now we can say, so can you. Uh, and so says Emily. Right then, we're going to open the lines and our phone number is 0818104106. Pair of tickets as we've got your summer sorted to Riverdance, live at the Marquee. It's all kicking off on the 27th of May. Riverdance itself, we have tickets for the 5th of June which is a Sunday evening. And we have four winners. We will have four winners on Friday, this being a short week after the bank holiday. And each daily winner will be entered into the draw at the end of the week to have their prize upgraded to include a pre-concert meal for two people at Sober Lane, Cork's lively gastro pub in the heart of the city. Call us now if you know what the uh, the two Eurovision songs were. They were both winners, uh, I believe. And Cork, of course, will be welcoming loads of acts to Live of the Marquee this summer, kicking off with the Coronas on Friday, May 27th. Get calling now. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And Anya from Middleton is on the line. Good morning, Anya. You went to see Riverdance 20 years ago, did you? I did indeed. I did indeed. Was Flatley in that one? He was. He wow. was. I went to see him in Dublin, yeah, many, many years ago. So you're now. a big, big fan. I saw it in Mill Street, actually. Met Bill Whelan there, too, as well, chuffing myself. Have a listen to these. Oh, very Two Eurovision songs, two winners, if I remember correctly. Who are they, Anya? Uh, the first one is Why Me by Linda Martin, and the second one, of course, is Waterloo by Ada. Well, you're our daily winner, and you could be in the draw. Well, you are in the draw, but you could be going as well to Sober Lane, uh, an upgraded pre-concert meal for two people, Cork's lively gastro pub in the heart of the city. Thanks, Anya. Well done. And That's stay, brilliant. Thanks stay for tuned on Friday. Thank you. The Neil Pribble Show okay. is produced by Seamus Whelan, Kevin Galvin, Mark Willington, and Clara Connor. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.